This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Recorded live. What do you want to start with? You want to get the NFL show done real quick? Yeah, whatever you want to do. Well, I mean, first of all, watch that Cavs game last night. Jeez. Everybody, everybody is calling. Hold on. All these talking heads up here, these radio guys, it's been happening for like the last week or so, like a murmur, but everybody's calling for this guy Blatt's head now, which I am, uh, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in, which you you just can't pull the trigger on these coaches like this. I know the guy, the guy's messing up, you know what I'm saying? There's no doubt about that, you know what I'm saying? Um, he's clearly... I've, out of the depth right now, but you just can't fire a basketball coach right now in the middle of the season. I don't see how that solves the problem. Well, the thing I'd say about it is the LeBron pushing him yesterday was concerning to me. It shows complete disrespect and the fact that if he doesn't, if he's dividing the team and he doesn't have the respect of a his number one player then it, what's he doing there? I, Who is I really have that respect, though? Well, that's the thing. You know, in in Miami, yeah, he he was coached by Spolstra, who didn't have any experience, but you had Pat Riley there, of course. you got to bring in somebody that, that would command respect from LeBron. That's the only way that it, this is going to work. 
because he doesn't respect David Griffin. He doesn't respect Dan Gilbert, obviously. And right now it's the inmates running the asylum. So you better bring in somebody in there that can stabilize the situation. Otherwise, well, that, that, you might that as well make LeBron. Actually face. You might that as well guy actually LeBron used to be a Cavs coach. coach, and they will actually face that coach here Thursday night against the Lakers. Which would be Byron Scott would be the person that would that that I mean because who is he gonna he's not gonna respect Mark Jackson or George Carl those guys haven't won championships I mean let's just be honest so like I mean you were talking yeah, about but the respect I think level. they would because there would be a respect with Mark Jackson as far as I've been there and done it. I know how to win he the- hasn't been to the mountaintop where LeBron has though he has never won a championship he's not he as a coach or a player so I mean. There's, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You're talking uh, to me. This is my. I mean, I'm just playing a little devil's advocate here, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, in my mind, I'm thinking if I'm LeBron James, this guy was a, a decent point guard, you know, played for some tough Nick teams back in the NBA's, you know, heyday. But those guys didn't have the physical talent that I have. So why am I going to listen to him? No, I agree. I think the the biggest problem with Vlad is right now is he, he doesn't. He, this is his first look at the NBA, period. You know, he has no experience in the NBA. And I think LeBron's picking him apart. There's too much of a curve here to learn the NBA, I think, in LeBron's mind. I think he's just doing everything to basically push him out of here at this point. And literally. Well, I didn't see the push like that last night. Um, David Black was finally getting fired up, which I wanted to see. Right. I think. See, I, I think things are moving too slow on this timeline now. Um, but it got reset again with the you know roster change, and it's going to be one more reset again when Amon Shumper comes back uh, or makes his Cavs debut for the first time uh, with this uh, dislocated shoulder. You know, he's looking at another two weeks. It, it, and I really think the all-star break is where it's going to come, but you can't, to me, fire David Blatt's not the situation right now. Um, these guys, got first of all, you, these guys got to play harder. I mean, that's what it comes down to. They're not playing hard. It doesn't matter who the coach is. These guys aren't playing for themselves. So they're not playing for the guy next to them. You know, like, they're not playing for, I don't know what they're they're doing, but they're going through the motions out there. And that that's not on a coach. I mean, it doesn't matter who was coaching them. You know what I'm saying? They, you, you know, I know there's motivation and things like that, but these guys, you got too much, too much talent now on this roster for guys to give up. Now, when it comes to the X's and O's, I really believe David Blatt is losing the team and losing, or just losing the opportunity to have the team buy in behind him because he's not winning the matchups when it comes to these game-to-game situations. That speaks to what you're saying of him learning the NBA. Um, I think he needs to be coaching in eight-minute segments to win matchups. There's no way Timothy Mozgov can only play 16 minutes when you got, you know, a, a, a guy, you know, and this is the last couple games. You've got these other front-line guys, seven-footers out there. Every time there's another seven-footer on the floor, this is, you know, basketball one-on-one. If we got a seven-footer, put the guy on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it just, you know, I mean, if it's Boogie Cousins, Boogie Cousins not even seven feet, but if it's Boogie Cousins, Jason Thompson with Sacramento, if it's Alex Lynn last night, just you match the size with the size, you know? And then when Phoenix was loving playing small last night, you know, because yeah, then you go small when you can do that with that lineup. Um, I think it. I think it's. I, I think we're seeing that. Be the NBA matchup of night in and night out, not knowing those teams, and uh, once again, I, I don't know if he's leaning on the staff enough to 
to make those calls. And then combined with the fact of not knowing his own team well enough and trusting them um, in situations and minutes-wise. Like last night, there was a point where in that fourth quarter, you could have bought Kevin Love back in for a second and then took him back out. Even Here's my thing, too. He's stuck on this starters have to play start with starters. And Kevin Love would actually be better. Uh, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, during the second unit, during the second quarter at some point, with LeBron and Kyrie on the bench would be a good mix. Like you, He's got to start mixing up these lineups to find the right keys for different situations. I don't see that at all. And so that those are the things when we talk about him as a coach. You know, it, It's not just the actual losing. It's the situationals, which I think I thought he was going to be very good at that he's not winning at right now, and that's what bothers me. Um, and I think that definitely can come. But once again, I don't think he knows that. If I see this Joe Harris guy running the court one more time, I'm going to tell you like this and play significant minutes. It's going to blow my mind. I mean, once again, Sacramento, this guy was on the court in the time frame at the end of that game. Didn't I mean, it just in the third quarter that didn't make sense to me. Um, and here's a perfect example. Last night, I know you love Matthew Della Vadova. Matthew Della Vadova is the perfect person. Kyrie can't check him. We've seen this in the last since they were drafted. Isaiah Thomas has lit Kyrie up, Isaiah Thomas Jr. Matthew Della Vadova is the perfect person to check him. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's just it's certain it's certain matchups that you can see if you watch basketball that I don't I don't see David Black definitely he's losing the battle when it comes to those and that's the game with inside the game that I think that that's why we're losing and that's how you lose those games you know night in and night out um, and the effort just has been questioned since I mean they lost the game with they lost LeBron's last game when he was in the lineup and then they lost that game I'm still sorry about the game to the Seventy Sixers so. Well, I, I mean, you make some fair points, but I, I think what you're talking about is, in addition to what I'm talking about, how much of the uh, the cumulative effect is, is this on the chemistry and David Blatt, you know, between the X's and O's and the matchups and not having the respect and, you know, when to lean on coaches. And now you got Kevin Love not playing at the end of games and scoring under 10 points uh, five times already, I think Sports Center said. And he didn't do it once last year. And, and I know there's sacrifices that he's going to have, but it, it just seems like it's a very daunting task and the snowball is going the wrong way for David Blatt right now. And I don't know if you can stop the snowball once it gets the momentum. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, it's all fine. I'm willing to see – here's the thing. I'm willing to struggle to watch this team learn how to play right and learn how, even if it's the hardest road that they got to go, because I think that's going to make them better when it comes down to crunch time. This team's going to make the playoffs. So that doesn't matter to me. So that's what I'm saying. Firing a coach right now doesn't make sense. And the thing is, I will say this, there's no way a guy that had that much success, I mean, I know it's not the NBA, can't coach basketball. Now, can he coach this team and this roster? Maybe not. But it's not like he can't coach basketball. So some of these situations might iron themselves out. And, um, you know, it's one of these things. I just wait to the offseason. I just can't. I, I can't live with this, all oh, the Cavs fired or coach in the middle. Maybe it's just I just don't want to go through that right now. You know, like maybe that well, part of me is a little naive and nostalgic, you know what I'm saying? But I can't see somebody walking in here fixing it. I don't think Tyrone Lewis is the answer, honestly. I would rather have Larry Juby at the helm. Uh, somebody, so because you're going from inexperience to inexperience. He doesn't have coaching experience right. at the NBA. I mean, NBA as a head coach level. So I mean, you know, that's not the answer to me. And then bringing somebody else in in the middle of the season is just too hard to do. 
Here's the thing. You know, David Griffin came out with full support of David Blatt and, uh, and, and pretty much endorsed him and said, try to put it to rest. And what happened was LeBron came out and he, you know, and he called him Blatt and he wasn't going to come up, comment on the situation. LeBron knows better. LeBron's been around the block. He, he's in this league. LeBron needs to come out and support this guy and not disrespect him and not push him. And if he's not going to do that, then I feel like, you know, especially in the NBA where players run the league and coaches get fired because of players, and we've seen it with Tracy McGrady. We've seen it in Phoenix. We've seen it, you know, in L.A. with Kobe. You know, if LeBron's not willing to come out and not disrespect the guy and say, Coach Blatt, and I have his back, and these are because LeBron can say all he wants about how it's not important and I'm a player, but bottom line, it's very important. You're the leader of this team, and if the rest of your teammates don't see that you have respect for this guy, then how the heck are, are these other guys going to respect? And like I said, it's a it's a snowball thing. And if we're sitting here and we're wasting time with David Blatt, and he's going to be fired at the end of the year because LeBron doesn't want him here then I don't know. I mean, do you, do you just go through the end of the year and play together and then bring somebody in at the end of the year? Or is there someone like a, a George Carl or a Mark Jackson you could bring in right now? I agree with you. I don't think that uh, – I don't think making an assistant on this team right now is a way to go. Uh, I don't think that does you any good. You might as well stick it out. But I, I just don't see this ending well right now. And the guy I want is coaching at SMU. Well, that guy could fix it fast. If you needed a guy to fix it fast and to fix but it fast. But you can't get him till the end of the year. Well, I don't know. SMU's going in the tank. You never know. You see. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no. Um, That's the guy I want in here. Because he respects yeah, that. You're, you're referring to Larry Brown, the illustrious Larry Brown, you know, uh, who won in Detroit, had the greatest player pound for pound in the NBA of all time, Allen Iverson, and, you know, had great success with him. Uh, they didn't win the championship, but came a hair close. They went up against the Shaq Kobe Lakers. So, um, and Tyrone Lue at the time. Uh, it, it's funny to me. I it, the way that I see it right now, you you talk about LeBron stepping up the leadership. You know what I'm saying saying to the coach, I don't think he has to be the one to, to give the the coach the seal of approval. They've got to play harder. That gives the seal of approval. It doesn't matter what you say. It's the actions on the court to me. Um, they played hard in the third quarter, and it's funny. We talk about the – you know, the, he was close to get technical. LeBron said he did push him to keep him off the court, you know what I'm saying, which to me that's fine because we literally just saw a situation last week with the Phoenix Suns where Mr. Lighting Up the Cavs, 31, Markeith Morris, was screaming vehemently and spitting in the face of Jeff Hornacek. So, you know what I'm saying, and, and people were saying, well, and they gave that guy a max contract last year, um, him and his brother big money. So, you know, it's one of those things, like, this happens in the NBA, personalities uh, are a bigger key when you've got a small group of guys. Until I see, I mean, I don't think that issue last night was something concrete. I think more the play on the court. LeBron's been saying the right things off the court as far as I'm concerned. I still, I, I, to me, it's, it, it's not even they, they'll they'll come around and win a couple games here, but it's once they start playing the right way, they're not even playing the right way. The rotations on defense are terrible, like you know, say so. Like it doesn't matter who comes in here 
even if they're a great tactician, these guys, I don't know. It, I don't know if they thought it was going to be easier. I think that's part of it. They thought it was going to be a lot easier because they had the talent. And they're going up against teams that have been playing the last two or three years. The Phoenix Suns went through this last year, you know, when Jeff Hornacek took took over that team and was trying to get them in the right way. And then they almost made it a, a hair into the playoffs, and they, they, you know, they came up short. So you, you're going up against teams night in and night out during the middle of the season that know, hey, we got to come out and play hard. And the Phoenix Suns came out blasting. The same thing with Golden State the game before that. The Cavs were just step for step going through the motions. It's one of those things, you know, like they used to talk about teams and uh, – I remember, like high school basketball coach used to say, "You, you, you, you think you guys are talented enough to turn it on and off when you want to? It's not like that. If you play hard the whole time, you'll get the result that you want. You might not win the game, but at least you'll be proud of the effort that you put forth." They're not. They're turning it on and on when off when they want to, and that's why they can't gel. That's why the chemistry is not there, because you got different guys playing hard. Now, here's a, here's a perfect example of that, though. You know who was playing hard last night the whole game? This J.R. Smith guy. Still, I don't understand how this guy is biting on shot fakes after being in the league 11 years, the way that he does to close out and go flying into the third row. But the guy was playing hard. But, you know, that came to the fact that he was having his offensive game go. So, you know, the thing, and another guy playing hard is this Timothy Moss guy. Why he only gets 16 minutes. That, that's, those are the questions where you're shaking your head with David Blatt. That kind of stuff. I don't care about the respect of the team and the players. When, I, when this guy's not playing the right people for longer minutes, like Timothy Mozgov was just playing 30 minutes plus with the Denver Nuggets. So what are you, you know, what's going on with that? Well, so those are the questions we got to. Well, that goes to the whole ball of wax. You know, I mean, is, is that just one thing? I mean, you correct that thing, does the other things get correct? You know, and that's the chicken and egg argument. So I, I don't know the answers to that. Um, yeah, I mean, just, I think it's very simple. If you got the right people on the floor at the right time, that's half the battle, first of all, to me. You know, like, I mean, then getting them to execute on offense and lock down on defense is the other half. But if you don't got the right players at the right time and you got people out of position – I mean, checking other guys out of position, you know. And here's a perfect example. LeBron is classic for this, and this is a criticism, but it's just honest. You know, we know he's the greatest defender out there. Why wasn't he on Marquise Morris in the third quarter? Because he didn't want to. It's not like, you know what I'm saying, so, you know, a, a coach can't force this guy to do something he doesn't want to do. He, he, he'll he go over and say anything any other time, let me do this, let me do this. Go check the guy. The guy is lighting your team up, and he's telling you about it every time he makes a shot. Two things, you know, one is, and I've always said this, winning is the greatest deodorant. You know, you win some games and this is going to start going away. Uh, right now you're in the midst of some serious, serious struggles just to get wins. So I think that's part of it. I think once we start winning, you're going to see, you know, it, it, some of this uh, noise go away. The The second thing is, you know, right now it's not like we just added LeBron James. The roster from last year, there's two players on this team right now that had played together, and that's Tristan and Kyrie that are playing that that are that have been on this team and been in the rotations based on last year. So you're really replacing seven, eight guys that have never played together at once. So you're right. There's definitely and and we're an impatient society and an impatient sports base. We want to win right now. So, yeah, you know, it's hard to say. The easy answer is fire David Black. 
but the problems run deeper than David Black. And you make you make a great point. It just made me think about something. These guys are also under a microscope because of LeBron being here. So everything is magnified more. It feels worse than it really is. I mean, yes, they're you know uh, under five hundred again, you know, the in this season, but they literally could roll off 30 games, 25 games, and that puts them at 45, 48 wins. They're still going to be in the top half of the East if they do. It's the Eastern Conference if they do that. It's funny that those are the problems that they got to have. they got to live with that. We talk about Tristan Thompson. It's one thing with Tristan Thompson. I had this uh, uh, criticism. Like, this guy gets – here's the problem that we got. This is another reason I want Miles Goblin too. And I like J.R. Smith playing, and I can't wait for Shumpert to get on the floor. J.R. Smith rebounds well, but I, I, I don't know if these guys watch the tape or what they do when they're watching the tape, but there's a lot of times, too many times, that I watch these games, and you see Tristan Thompson's the only guy with other four of the opposite-color jerseys around him rebounding. He'll get an offensive rebound. But at that moment, I don't know if Tristan still got this contract. This is why I talk about, like, sacrifices, selfishness, you know, and playing for others. He's got to kick this ball out. You can't challenge four other guys and go back up. It's just not. It's, it's just you know the percentages are not in your favor. Yes, he scores sometimes. Yes, he gets fouled sometimes. But if he kicks that ball out, it's a wide open shot to somebody else. And you watch you watch Golden State play. You watch these other teams play. Even these guys are giving up the ball to other guys to get better shots because they've played with each other long enough to trust each other. So we talk about the trust issues, whether or not the team is trusting David Black, the coaches, are they working together? Is David Black leaning on his staff? I don't even think this team right now. Um, and this just like it speaks to what you said of only two guys playing with each other last year left on this roster. If they trust each other enough to do the things that it takes to win these games. Well, and you you say trust, and, and, you know, this goes back to my whole point. The times are at their worst right now for the whole season. And, you know, you had David Griffin come out and say that. I'm not asking for LeBron to, to go crazy uh, with what he thinks of David Black, but I think it would put a lot of arguments to rest, a lot of in, in, unsureness to rest if he would just come out and say, I think Coach Blatt is the guy for this job. That's all he has to say. He doesn't need a ringing endorsement and to get up there and blow the guy. Uh, he just—I just feel like as the leader of the team, the guy who said I'm coming in to save Ohio and put all this pressure on his back, if he would just give uh, some sort of endorsement as to thinking that this is the right direction, I would feel a lot better, and I think it would curtail a lot of the noise that's out there. You know what a curtail the noise, and you asked for this at the beginning of the season, and I'll give you credit for it. You know what a curtail it? Go out and score 50 points tonight because you're capable of it. Do that. If he scores yeah, 50 and points and they're still losing, if he scores 50 points and they're still losing, then we got a real problem, then I say fire David Black. But that, that, that'll be the endorsement of anything else because he's playing harder, giving everything he's got night in, night out. He's not saving himself. He's not in chill mode. You, you know what I mean? Uh, that 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 was, and it ain't even that. The thing is, it 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 sucks for me to say it from my perspective, because um, I'm not him. But we've seen it's not hard for him to do it. You know what I mean? Like it it is very easy for him if he wanted to score 50 points every night, he could do it. And if that's what it takes for a stretch of four or five games to get everybody woken up or to carry this team, you know, for a little bit, then that's what he's going to need to do. 
And you're right. You're right. Actions speak louder than words, period. So, you know, and, and I saw that effort last night, and who knows leading up to that what uh, the injury situation was, but it, it, an endorsement can also be what you're talking about. You know, go out there. You don't have to score 50, but a night like last night where you're scoring 35, I can see the effort. Uh, you know, defensively it's still not there, but uh, it, it was, a, I guess, a step in the right direction, even though it was a loss. Yeah, but somebody on Phoenix's staff knows the secret to LeBron James. They know, like, you got to get physical with him, and he doesn't like that. That's what got him going last night. You know, these guys were all over this dude. Fouling yeah, and was, stuff like that, you know, like all yeah. up in his grill. Like, you know, they had P.J. Tucker, Gerald Green, you know, Morris. Like, they were rotating guys on him, you know. So, But that gets him going. His competitive juice has got to flow. Um I'm going to tell you like this, I really, I am excited about Shumpert. I can't wait till this guy hits the court because that guy plays hard regardless. I, he's just the type of player that's always been trying to prove to everybody he deserves to be in this league. Um, and I and I saw a picture of this guy the other day just in practice. This guy, I'm going to try to find it. I was trying to find it. I'm going to try to find it so I can put it up with this podcast. The guy looked like he was an NFL halfback. I mean, just his arms, like he, I guess the guy's been, you know, rehabbing that shoulder. I don't know, man. The guy looks like he's got more weight on him than I remember him having before. So um, I don't think he's the answer to all these different things, but intensity, bringing intensity and energy is a key thing. And, I mean, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I think the Cavs are going to be okay. I can't hit the panic button. I know where it is, no question, but I just can't hit the panic button on these guys. Yeah, and I, if you're on Twitter watching during yeah. these Cavs games, the, the sky's falling. People are jumping off the I four eighty bridge. I mean, you know, and that's just in the first quarter. So, <laughs> right, and, and yeah, and it's the instant uh, reaction to everything. Obviously, is not good for anybody's uh, logical thinking of what's going on. But um, I can. I'm not panicking, but. I, I'm definitely identifying a lot of stuff going on. You you mentioned getting him angry. You know, I don't care. We got to get maybe get somebody, Mark Keith Morris, to hit him in the face every time he comes down to Florida, piss him off enough to play good basketball. Um, the other, well, no, he had um, that great game against Orlando when he had two blocks. When's the last time LeBron had two blocks in a game since he's been back in the Cavaliers uniform? Right. The 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 staple of it what he was in Cleveland the first time, that that chase down block I haven't seen this year. The other thing I haven't seen this year is, you know, and and winning is going to cure some of this, is the camaraderie with his teammates. You know, I'm not talking about posing for pictures pregame and, you know, all that stuff. But LeBron, even in Miami, was always the first one to be more excited about a teammate making a play than himself making a play. And I haven't seen that a lot. <laughs> they were fired up at the end of that third quarter last night. The 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 LeBron. Well, first of all, LeBron had the two free throws. Then he had this. They had the. They came down. They got a defensive stop. They had the possession where he got the dunk right down the middle of the court. And then they they uh, J.R. Smith stole that inbound and hit that shot to in that third quarter. They were fired up then. So that's what got me fired up last night. I mean, I literally jumped out of my chair and was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was so fired up. If you can, that's the kind of intensity though that you got to play with. I mean, it sucks to say and it's hard to sustain it, but you got to dig deep and you got to try to reach that level every game for as much of the game as you can. 
Yeah, and, and I agree. I, I think that, like I said, winning is going to cure a lot of this and success, not even winning, but like last night, success and and a feeling of going in the right direction, I think will will help that. Uh, it, you know, you got 40 games left here or so. Uh, you, you're going to need LeBron healthy the rest of the year, and you're going to need him in full go mode uh, to get a, a decent playoff spot. But uh, it is first year. It is a lot of moving parts, a new coach, a new league for the coach. Uh, there's a lot of things to overcome, but there's one guy that could overcome them. Uh, I, I think it would be number six. Well, I think the whole team's going to be better off here when everybody's just a little healthy and they can um, definitely relegate Joe Harris to the bench for, you know, as long as we're not seeing that guy enter the game, I think we're all better off. Um uh, they do have. They do. I mean, we. I'll tell you this: the barometer really, though. If the bottom is falling out of this thing, it's gonna fall all the way out, and it's gonna fall all the way out of L.A. Lies in the Staples Center um, against the Lakers. So, I mean, we know what sort of line there. You're gonna get LeBron versus Kobe, um, but you're definitely gonna see two struggling teams right now, and uh, hopefully the Cavs are the ones that come out on top. Because if not, I mean, they gotta bend back to back right back in the Staples Center the next night against the Clippers. Um, and then they get to come back home and see the Chicago Bulls. So this this stretch don't get too easy. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to it's, it's we're going to know, and this is the best thing we're going to know here very soon what these guys are going to decide to do and what they're made of. A great point too. The schedule makers have done us no favors here, just out of you know sheer coincidence uh, with LeBron being down, having to go out west and then come home and play the Bulls. Even the beginning of the year, it seemed like. You know, every night we were playing a playoff team. Uh, we're in the East. There's going to be some easier teams coming up, and uh, we got to get healthy and get in the playoffs, and we'll go from there. And it was great to see LeBron, even though some Cavs fans were angry about it, which I guess they're not Buckeye fans, those guys. Uh, it was great to see LeBron at the national championship uh, supporting the Ohio State Buckeyes, your national champions, and it was great to see him send. It was great to see him send out the message that was on the uninterrupted Bleacher Report, uh, just saying how much he knew the national championship meant to the state of Ohio, and you know how. And he even made the comment after the Phoenix Suns game. They asked him about going there too. You know, if you're not from Ohio, you won't understand it. And it's just one of those things. You know, he he said there was no place he actually wanted to be. So it's it's one of those things. You you, you see that love for it. And you know that competitive drive is there. I think the thing. I think it's going. This calf ship is going to right itself somehow, some way. Maybe I'm just a dreamer, a believer. You know, but I really believe the Cavs are going to be okay. One other thing about the national championship is we're talking about the Cavs uh, and, and understanding the pain of Ohio. I thought it was kind of interesting and funny that Cardale Jones, after the championship, was being interviewed and said this will sustain Cleveland for, for another year. Uh, as, as any good Clevelander would know, that uh, it, the the pain of being a, a sports fan in Cleveland is a little bit uh, – a little bit harder than just being an Ohio State fan. But you can soak in some of the winning and the national championship that the Ohio State Buckeyes had, and you can get more of that on our national championship 
podcast that we have. So look for that on withanohiobias.com, and we thank you for listening to this one as well and always supporting the WAOB. Yeah, that's fine. I, don't know. I just want to add that to the calf stuff. Cause I was thinking no, that was a good little short part. That was good, I thought. All right, let's get into this NFL. You want me to do the recap, or you want to do the recap? Uh, go ahead. It's real short, so. Um, do the recap. We'll go into. We can talk coaches, and then we can go in the. I think we'll talk coaching carousel first, and then go into the Browns, and then do the picks. Because that way, it once we go through some of these coaching changes and like the staffs, it'll take some of these guys out that are going to be in the running for the Browns OC. You know what I'm saying? Like I was thinking about that. Was the best way to do that? Yeah, I, I that think makes that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, this is... All right, this is with an Ohio bias a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Our NFL championship preview show. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. We're talking conference championships in the NFL. This is the Lamar Hunt. No, Lamar Hunt is the Super Bowl trophy, isn't it? No, the Lombardi Trophy. No, the Lombardi. The Lamar Hunt is the AFC Trophy. What's the NFC Trophy? Does I it have don't a name? know. Uh, the Bill Walsh Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't ever remember it having a name. Got to have a name. It's got to have a name. I just don't know what it is. We're AFC people, so you know that's weird. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would not know this. this. Is the George? They just named this. This is the George Howard Trophy. Yeah. Okay. They just named that though. It wasn't at all our lives. You know what I'm saying? It should have been the Bill Walsh Trophy. <laughs> I know it's mine better. Pop Landry Trophy. All right. We're talking the chase for the Lamar Hunt and the George Hallis Trophies, the AFC and NFC Championship Preview Show. On this show, we're going to run down the coaching care. We're going to do it. We're going to give you the recap of the divisional playoff games. We're going to run down the coaching carousel, tell you the new faces in the new places, and then we will talk Browns OC coach search as uh, the Browns offensive coordinator search continues. Then we give you our picks for the gentlemen, Going to the Super Bowl, we give you the AFC and NFC championship predictions. We got the coaching carousel. Oh, no, we got the recap. Jesus Christ. Get over here. All right.
What is this? Oh, I was all confused. Okay, here we go. Jesus Christ. All right, I got it now. Last Saturday, we saw the Baltimore Ravens lose to the New England Patriots. Joe Flacco has an amazing day but comes up short. The Golden Boy gets it done to Gronk. New England wins 35-31. to In a spirited contest that ended up in a blowout, the Seattle, Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks protect their house in CenturyLink Field and drop the Legion of Boom all over the Carolina Panthers 31-17. to The Seattle Seahawks over the Panthers, the Carolina Panthers set 31-17. to That game sorry. I don't know why they got these games like this. And then Sunday we saw maybe the end of an era and the torch finally passed. Manning to luck. The Indianapolis Colts go into Denver and beat the Broncos twenty four to thirteen. Sunday night we saw uh, more controversy in the NFL, which we will talk about here right after. But we saw the Green Bay Packers survive and advance in the frozen tundra. There wasn't any ice in the ice bowl, but it was ice in the veins of the Dallas Cowboys as they came up short, 26-21. to 21. The Green Bay Packers defeat the Dallas Cowboys, 26-21. to 21. And in that game, we saw Des Bryant make a great catch at the closing moments of the game. That was ruled not a catch. Um, Jake, your thoughts on the Des Bryant play? He said it was a catch. It was ruled a catch on the field and then overturned by the referees. More controversy and did what was good for the goose was it good for the gander as the Dallas Cowboys now are eliminated on a controversial call to end the Green Bay against the Green Bay Packers. First, before I hit that, you mentioned uh, the ice bowl. You know, Fox, memo to Fox, don't force things because it's the same two teams. There were, they tried to compare this thing to the ice bowl all game, and the temperature was probably around 35 degrees. It, it was nothing like the ice bowl. Uh, don't force the narrative. Just allow the narrative to play itself out. I, I thought that was really just – uh, very lazy on the part of Fox, but uh, to the catch itself, um, by rule, it's the right call. But I think, I mean, he had the ball, he caught the ball, he was touched down, he was stretching the ball out. At what point do we need to, we need to change the rule and allow for, uh, allow for the the football move to happen. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's unfortunate, you know. I mean, it, it probably was a catch uh, by by the eyeball test, but by the letter of the law, uh, it, it wasn't a catch. And unfortunately, uh, they, uh, they had to roll it the way they did. Um, as far as karma and that sort of thing with Dallas winning the week before against Detroit on, the, on that uh, missed pass interference call, and then the holding call, uh, you know, I guess it's karma, but, you know, I'm not into it, be, it, it making things even. Uh, I, I think 
it was a great game, and it's just unfortunate that uh, it came down to a call like that. But we've seen it before, and uh, I, I'm okay with the way it was rolled. Uh, I'm not okay with the roll itself. I'll tell you like this. My first thought, I felt like it was, uh, even though it was two separate games, I felt like, and you love the comparisons, I felt like it was a block charge call. Uh, you get one on one end, and then you get a makeup call on the other end. That's what it immediately in my mind, as soon as I saw that they, you know, like had overturned it, I was like, oh, my goodness. You know what I'm saying? Watching that game, that's exactly what ran through my mind. It's a catch. I don't, yeah, it, against the NFL rules, whatever. I mean, these guys play fast and uh, fast and loose with the rules all the time. I don't know what a rule is supposed to be anymore. You know, this guy caught that ball. That's all I know. He caught that football. You know, I, I I don't know. He was stretching it out and all that kind of stuff, but he caught that football. I, I know that. So I know what I saw with my eyes. I mean, sorry for your luck, Dallas fans. That's the NFL. I mean, that's what you guys pay buy into, you know. So I, I don't know what else to be said. So Here's the only other thing I could say is that, you know, any game, yeah, it was a big play, but you can't point to the one play. There were plenty of opportunities all throughout that game. Uh, so, to, but they made to, the play that they had to make to win the game, and they got it yeah, taken away by the refs. That's it's a difference. Like it was the, the Detroit one is a little difference to me because there was still a lot of time left in that game. There was no time left in this one. They they made the play. They what, here's the here, right. now here's the question. Here's the real question for the Cowboy fans out there and for the Cowboys as a staff, Jason Garrett. Why you didn't throw to Des Bryant for the other you know forty minutes of that game? I'll never understand. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, here's the, here's I would have been throwing other, it if, I would have been throwing the ball to that guy every opportunity if it was me. So, but hey, you know, that that or, part of it I'll give you. Or how about putting some pressure on a one-legged quarterback? They didn't blitz once it seemed like the whole game. You know, so that's what I'm talking about when I'm saying you can't blame it on one thing. You know, you got a one-legged quarterback back there and you're letting them pick you apart rather than bringing pressure on him. So, yeah, the gutty, that, gutty that, performance, that, yeah, gutty performance by Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's lots of things I can point to to why that Dallas team didn't win that game, and there should have been some things that done differently. And, you know, that was a fourth-and-one play. You can even question what they're doing throwing that ball on fourth-and-one with DeMarco Murray. You know, you advance that ball, and you get four more shots at the end zone probably. So, I mean, it's unfortunate. But it, it, the rule is the rule, and until we change the rule, uh, you should have done more during the game, in my opinion. That is funny, too, because uh, I forget the guy's name and the Cowboys staff, but that guy's actually on the rules committee. So, yeah, it, it all comes right back to, you know, bite the Cowboys right back in the you-know-where. So we move on to the coaching carousel in the NFL. Um, the folks in Buffalo need to be wearing socks, maybe want to double up, triple up on the socks because they got Rex Ryan now as their head coach. The Buffalo Bills have hired Rex Ryan as a head coach. Um, Jack Del Rio looks to be the new coach out in Oakland, so he returns to the Silver and Black. Um, the former Jags coach and USC uh, guy is back out in the Bay Area. And uh, we see uh, Todd Bowles, the D.C. from the Arizona Cardinals, uh, get the Jets head coach job. So that's great. Uh, another African-American coach in the NFL. And it uh, looks like the Falcons are trying to circle around Dan Quinn now. Um, the the uh, 
Denver Broncos, of course, have fired John Fox, and we saw that press conference from John Elway, who clearly loves him some John Elway. Um, Would love to thank John Elway. <laughs> exactly. Um, still, some other, still some other moving parts out there. One thing about the Buffalo Bills, they will hire Greg Roman as their OC, so that takes them out of the midst. The 49ers are trying to get Adam Gase, but I think that's a tug of war now between the Broncos. So you see how that shakes out. Oh, and then also in coaching news, um, we saw the Steelers part ways with Dick LeBeau after years and years, um, the Ohio State graduate who has been the Ohio State uh, the Ohio State graduate who has been who has been uh, who has been uh, sucking up the Buckeye talent from the Cleveland Browns for years to the Pittsburgh Steelers now out and the linebackers coach Keith Butler has taken over for them. And in one last note, for those who love and care about the Pro Bowl, the Baltimore Ravens coaching staff will be coaching the AFC, and then the Arizona Cardinals will be coaching the NFC and the Pro Bowl. Get excited. Let me be the first to say here, thank you, Dick LeBeau, for leaving. Uh, Not only have you terrorized the Cleveland Browns, but many other teams with your magical wizardry of defensive knowledge. Uh, And also, like you had mentioned, Hopefully now the pipeline of Ohio State players to the Pittsburgh Steelers defense will dry up, and uh, if just so they end up anywhere besides Baltimore and Pittsburgh, that's fine. Just even Cincinnati, I'm okay with. But just please stop drafting Ohio State players, Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I can't take another Cameron Hayward or Ryan Shazier or Mike Vrabel and having to one of my favorite Buckeyes of all time and having to root against them and uh, associate them with those putrid, ugly, black and piss yellow colors and uh, everything that goes along with the hairy armpit women of Pittsburgh and everything else. So uh, one other note with Todd Bowles becoming the head coach of the New York Jets, it looks like Tan Gailey, who was uh remember, and now we'll talk about the Browns OC search the Browns offensive coordinator. It looks like the uh, that Chan Gailey will be joining the Jets head coaching staff as the I mean Jets coaching staff as the offensive coordinator. And then also too with John Fox being fired in Denver, you might have been for the Bears fans out there. You might have been wondering where the Bears are going to go now. Looks like they're going to go with the old Silver Fox. So uh, which I think John Fox needs to take a break. We know he had the heart scare last year uh, during the play uh, during the. Uh, end of the season right before the playoffs. I don't know why this guy wouldn't take a year off from coaching and rest himself, but Lord knows he doesn't need the money. Uh, but, eh, you know, you do what you do. We talked to Browns very, offensive coach. Go ahead. Very classy of John Fox to, to, to not throw John Elway under the bus and, and force him to tell everybody that he's firing a 14-2 and two coach uh, by saying it was uh, amicable and uh, that, they, that they decided just to part ways. Yeah, that that one is a head scratcher. I don't know who the Denver Broncos think they're going to get. Um, I didn't think John Fox was a good fit when he got there, but the guy did win. It really comes down to Peyton Manning, um, and whether or not he's coming back. The guy did not look good during that divisional playoff game against the Colts. Um, but you know, it's it wasn't the coach's fault. I'm not going to say it's all on Peyton Manning. It's just it wasn't there for the Broncos that day. You know, certain days it's just not your day. It wasn't there. Um, you know, 
your guy, Andrew Luck, was the best guy on the field that day and then lifted his team up. So, you know, it's just one of those things. A little bit better performance from the guy across the way. We talked Browns offensive coordinator spot, and here's the names that are out there now. Looks like Jets running backs coach Anthony Lynn is in the mix. Bill Callahan, the former Oakland Raiders coach and Nebraska head coach, is now in the mix. He's in the he's the O line coach currently for the Dallas Cowboys. They're re upping the deals down there. We saw Jason Garrett get the new deal. We also saw uh, gives a fuck. Jason Garrett get a new deal. We also see in the mix the Browns will interview Mark Trestman, so that's happening. And also they will interview, uh, we mentioned before, John John DeFilippo. John DeFilippo, the quarterback's coach for the Raiders. Uh, One name that wasn't in the mix before that I hadn't heard until now is Dan Cavanaugh, the Bears quarterback coach. Him and Mike Pettin were on staff together at the Pittsburgh when they were uh, coaching for the Pittsburgh Panthers. So they have a long, long history. He might be a guy that comes in as offensive coordinator. Say Matt Cavanaugh. Matt Cavanaugh. Sorry. I thought it was Dan Cavanaugh. That was Dan Cavanaugh. Yeah, I don't know. Out of those names, who do you like? Uh, nothing, nothing really strikes out. I really was excited about Chan Gailey. I thought about what he did at Georgia Tech with the running backs uh, when Char Choice was there. Uh, I thought he would have been good for the baby backs we got here with Terrence West and uh, uh, Isaiah Crowell, but now he's going to the Jets. Um, Mark Tressman, of course, I mean, you think about him being a great offensive mind and the burning connection you brought up before, but nobody else really jumps out to me as somebody that you definitely want in here. No, it, honestly, none of these names do anything for me. Uh, Bill Callahan, he, he comes with a little bit of name recognition, but, uh, I mean, as an offensive line coach, I, 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 don't, I can't get excited about any of them. The only one would be Mark Trestman, but it, then you have Bernie uh, via Twitter pretty much blasting the Browns and saying anybody worth their salt wouldn't even think about coming to Cleveland, which is – Really concerning to me, knowing how much Cle- how much Cleveland and the Browns mean to Bernie. Uh, so I, I don't know. At that point, with that statement, is with the connection with Bernie and Mark Tressman, is that somebody is Tressman even would even consider coming here? Uh, it, it's a mess right now, as as per usual. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. We're just going to have to kind of sit back and wait and see what the choice is and. Uh, we'll we'll have to assess from there. Well, this is going to be a defining moment for Mike, Mike Pettin. Uh, he definitely, I mean, he should be the one making this choice for his coach, for his offensive coordinator. And I think uh, whoever he brings in here, you know, whoever he chooses, I mean, directly is going to be tied to him. And we know how uh, old, uh, Jimmy Haslam uh, likes to hire and fire. So, it's going to be one of those things. He's going to definitely need results and need results fast. There's not going to be a lot of room for growth uh, with that offensive coordinator. So it's got to be somebody established. That's what, you know, we talk about Kavanaugh or the the Raiders. We talk about these quarterback coaches from the Bears and the Raiders respectfully. Uh, You know, do these guys have what it takes to make that jump um, and be the guy and get an effective offense? Because that's what you're definitely going to need moving forward for the Browns to be successful. 
And I wonder if I, – I hope, and it makes sense that Mike Pence should be the one making this decision, but I'm very skeptical that uh, he actually is the one making this decision for many reasons. Um, so we will see, and uh, like you said, whoever's coming in here is going to be tied to, and uh, it's going to be um, the, the last stop for any other coaches that are coming in here. And we know that uh, Kyle Shanahan, even though things didn't uh, end the way we wanted to, uh, we saw the comments. Joe Thomas was at a charity event this week. And Joe Joe Thomas, you know, doesn't talk a lot, but when he does, I mean, he's like E.F. Hutton. You know, yeah, yeah you, you got to take a listen to what he says. Um, you know, he was disappointed because, once again, you know, he's seeing another offensive coordinator leave no matter what the circumstances is. And so now he's looking at a new system come in. And he, you, you, his comments just speak to the want for stability and a need for consistency from that offensive side of the ball. And we've talked about it many times, you know, and it's on both sides of the ball. The consistency, the the continuity – yeah, I've brought up Marvin Lewis before. They, the Bengals won uh, and have gotten their team to this point, not out of Marvin Lewis being a great head coach, but out of stability and Mike Brown being too cheap to fire the guy. Uh, he stuck around, had some bad years where more, most coaches would have been fired. They kept him around. It, you, you see what putting a system in place is. Uh, it does for a team. It, and it trickles all the way down to the players, I, especially defensively I've talked about going from 3-4 to 4-3 to 3-4 to 4-3, and their heads have got to be spinning. The same can be said on the offensive side of the ball, you know, zone blocking, uh, whatever. It just it, the, the mixed messages and trying to implement a system every year and forget what you were just taught by somebody else, uh, it, it, I don't know how you – without that stability, you're just going to end up spinning your wheels like we've been doing since 1999. Well, there's no real sense of urgency right now. Uh, you know, you kind of want to see what plays out. I mean, maybe there's an outside chance that Adam Gase doesn't get a head coaching job. I don't think that doesn't happen. But it's one of these things. Maybe there's some miracle name that comes out of the woodwork. Uh, you know, that's what I said. It's just going to be real interesting to see who gets hired. And, you know, we'll definitely have a reaction here with an Ohio bias and break that down for you. But this one's on Mike Pettin because if he's ever going to – if he's not making the decision, that's a problem. But – if he's ever going to be successful and have longevity here with the Cleveland Browns, this is the moment. This is a defining moment in that career. Let me ask you, and if you don't have any insight, no big deal, but uh, what do you know about what's going on with Bernie and the front office and their relationship? Uh, it's just not good. I don't I don't have anything, like, concrete okay. right now. But it's just not, you know. It, is there any chance that they want to bring him in? I mean, like we talk about as an offensive coach coordinator, Dressman. No, but it, let's say you hired Dressman and he wanted to bring Bernie in as a quarterbacks coach. Uh, I don't think I don't think Bernie's coming in as quarterbacks coach. No, I don't think that's happening. Think he's that. mentioned that he wants to coach. I, I don't know. Yeah, hey, hey, yeah, I don't see that. Here, here's the dynamic right now. I think uh, uh, that that kind of is on hold. Um, I don't know. Like I, the one thing that I do think is going to happen. What the fuck is going on with the time of these games? Oh no, that's a press conference. My bad. Um, 
I think they're waiting. I think that, I think Jimmy Haslam's waiting to see what Peyton Manning's going to do, bring him in as possible president. So this Alex Shiner guy will be out on his ear, which I'll be happy about. Um, but yeah, I don't. The Bernie thing is somebody in that organization doesn't like him. I, I just heard that, and I don't know. I mean, that means nothing, though. I mean, so it, it's so it's so petty. Whatever's going on is so petty and so stupid. Um, well, you know, the, these great leaders and the head coaches th- that we talk about, like an Urban Meyer, they unite people. They bring the family back in. They they reconnect everybody. Even up in the Michigan press conference with Jim Harbaugh, you had Lloyd Carr there. You had Gary Moeller there, uh, the wife of Bo Schembechler, and it was brought back and it was a family. It just seems to me too many times with the Cleveland Browns, we alienate our family, our best players, our Hall of Famer Jim Brown, our favorite player in Bernie Kosar. We don't do enough of an effort to bring the guys back like Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield. And, and it, it, I don't understand why the history is lost with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, this is an age-old argument, though. It's 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 new versus it's young versus old, new versus you know. Um, okay, it's new Bill versus bridges, not walls. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, I'm all for it. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying I don't. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not trying I, to. I get, I get sad. I get sad when I think about off. it because it, it doesn't make any off. sense, yeah. and I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I literally get sad because I can't put an answer to why. Like you know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying it doesn't make any sense. Um, and you know, the thing is, you get it, it goes from sad to mad because then it's so frustrating because then you really feel like these people don't care about the Cleveland Browns. So that to me, the team will never be successful until you get somebody that really cares about the Cleveland Browns. You know, I Even think they more, care about winning. I think they care about keeping their jobs. I think they care about being employed and being able to say whatever title that they work in sports, they work in the NFL. They, you know, but do they care about the Cleveland Browns? And when, uh, if you cared about the Cleveland Browns and you say that you want this team to be successful, you you literally will be working every day. That that would be on your mind. Like if I, I mean, you know. I, It'd be a dream job, Even whatever. More so. If I if I had any capacity job with the Cleveland Browns, I would wake up every day trying to make it that team better. Even and, more and, so, I, it's not caring about the Cleveland Browns. It, it puts out the feeling to me that you don't care about the Cleveland Browns fans, and we're the ones that are paying for the boat. I know Jimmy Haslam dropped a billion dollars on the Browns or whatever he dropped on them, and he owns them. But there's no product without the fans. And to to alienate fans and to, to do that, it, it just it just doesn't set right with me. And like you said, I don't have any answers, and it's frustrating. And uh, well, I mean, and that's the, where the, the, the whole leader, That's where the leadership is lacking. You know that where we've bounced from uh, uh, Joe Banner and Lombardi to uh, Alex Shiner and. You know, it's just it, it feels like it's being very corporately run, rather than run with the passion of the great city of Cleveland. Well, that's the way the NFL is set up now, though. I mean, it's a and it's the way it's always. It's a feudal system. I mean, you know, these NFL owners are pretty much they have their own fiefdoms or they're like feudal lords. Uh, you know, and so we no. we are just you know what I'm saying. I mean, we I we, disagree completely. 
Look at how Seattle reaches out to their fans, and Paul Allen with the 12th man, Green Bay, who has basically their fans own the team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and how they treat their fans. I feel like we're being treated as second class. We know nothing, but we're just football fans, and you're gonna sh- we're going to show up no matter what, and it doesn't matter what but we will. fans think. We will. We will. Right, right, and that's the problem because I. So what are you? I mean, what are you advocating? What, 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 what's the solution to that? I'm not advocating to not show up. I'm not advocating to not show up because I can't not show up because I'm. It's in my blood, and they're taking advantage of that, and and and, and alienating us. And it's maybe eventually it's going to cause a problem because I'm old enough to remember some fortunate times, but there's kids out there, and I see it on their Twitter timelines that have never seen a winning team, that have never seen a playoff team in Cleveland, and I have no freaking clue how they are Cleveland Brown fans. What's the solution now? I, I think the, the solution is to, to, uh, to make the fans feel... <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how you do it. You know, little things that do it. I I think. The little things do it. Don't try to re- replace the scoreboard to make me happy. Unite us, bring us together. Give it you know, winning is great deodorant. But when winning's not there, I need to feel a connection. And you're not doing anything to connect with me right now. I wish I had the answer, but I don't. If I was up top in the Cleveland Browns organization, the first thing I would do is bring the family back together. I mean, I, I've said it before. They're afraid of the power structure, and the, I think they're afraid of the power that Bernie has or any these former Browns have that they lose control over whatever they think they have control over. I don't know. That, that whole mentality to me. That whole mentality to me is counterproductive in either way. Yeah. You know, that all, all these folks, and this is one of my biggest problems with Lombardi and Banner. You know, they're they're all trying to compartmentalize some level of power and control over if others' personnel, over decisions that the Browns are making and whatnot. Instead of working as a unit with all these different minds and talent that the Browns as a billion-dollar corporation will employ and getting the best results, the best answers, the best solutions to problems, people are more concerned about just being able to make that decision of saying yes or no when these different things, these different issues are being addressed with the Browns. If you're more concerned about saying yes or no, then you're not concerned about moving the organization forward. And that that's where I think that's where the part of the dynamic. When it comes to Browns fans and what we can do, you know, I, I mean, you have to use the vehicles that you have. You have to voice your opinion, and I mean, definitely we're involved, you know. But I, I mean, outside of asking for another owner to take over, you know, I will say this: one of the solutions was to, if Randy Lerner would have let a local group ownership group buy this team, would have been more of a better solution. And you know, that possibility was out there, but to sell, you know. And even the NFL ownership, and this goes to the NFL owners. So you talk about these other teams and whatnot. They kind of screwed us because they approved the sale very quickly to Jimmy Haslam. You know, it's one of those things. We saw what the Bills went through, but then they got a local guy. You know, Ted Pugula to buy the 
the the Buffalo Bills, you know, the owner of the Sabres. So they know what they got in that owner. You know, they got somebody that's definitely invested. Um, it's just one of those things. I mean, we, we're very lucky to have Dan Gilbert with the Cavs. I mean, that guy, you can tell he cares. It's been some tough times, and we've not always seen eye to eye with his vision of what he's trying to do. But that guy, you know, he, he showed the ultimate sacrifice for the fans and what he wants for this team and vision by eating his own words and apologizing you know, to LeBron James. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's certain people, you know, they, they really say what they're about and they're behind what they're about. We we still have time to see if Jimmy Haslam's really about what he wants. He wants to bring a winner to Cleveland. But the thing is, uh, I think you really could be a winner in Cleveland, uh, no matter if the Browns win the Super Bowl or not, just by doing things the right way. And that's not – it's not – I don't think that's the focus of doing things the right way on a daily basis out there in Berea and with the Cleveland Browns right now. The bottom line for me is I feel like this this team and this organization is being run with fear in the background, fear of other people, fear of other people grabbing leadership and power and everything else. And fear is never a way to govern. You just can't do it. Yeah, or you end up with Saddam Hussein and you're shooting everybody and that shows up for a meeting. Uh, so but that's the that's the way that's the way of the world these days. I mean, people are constantly in most job workplaces they they motivate with fear of losing your job motivate i mean it's the carrot and the stick people use the stick more than they ever use the carrot i mean that's just the way it goes that to me shouldn't i mean you know the draft day movie was telling about a lot of things um one of the things it was telling about was that you had a son taking over for uh, a son being the gm and had to fire his dad you know, it, it, and I know this is you know written poetically and taking a lot of artistic license and whatnot. You know, uh, for uh, a movie, but one of the things to me that came through with the Browns was that guy's passion for that team was unwavered. That nobody questioned that. Everybody just questioned whether or not this guy knew what the hell he was doing. You know, when it came to the personnel, but it wasn't like nobody was questioning. That. We we got a real question here: whether or not these folks want to keep their jobs as being in the NFL or they want to – you want folks that really want to love the Cleveland Browns, and I think that's why folks really want to see Bernie back in. Um, but with that, would he expose those other folks that might not be there for that reason? I think that's one of the reasons that you don't see Bernie back there because somebody in that organization, it, I don't know. It, it's a it's a dynamic that definitely uh, – I don't know. It's – I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how we kind of got off on this, but the the no, it was your question. Bottom. First of all, you, you yeah, you that's, right. That that's right. That's right. I, I know how we got off. On it. it wasn't the way I, it I had to talk about for the last twenty five minutes. <laughs> I would have to flush it out in my head though for a while. I just hadn't been. You know, right. I, listen, man, I I was disgusted watching those games, those playoff games. I'm not gonna put this on the pod, but I was disgusted watching these NFL playoff games because all I wanted to do, to do was see the Buckeyes play. Like, I literally was disgusted. You know what I'm saying? That was not the football I wanted to watch. I was watching it, but that wasn't the football I wanted to see. You know what I'm saying? All right, we can digress. We don't have to solve all the problems of the Browns today, I guess. We now pick who will win that trip to the Super Bowl. Who's going to hold the Lamar Hunt and George Hallis trophy when it comes this Sunday? Sunday, CenturyLink Field. 2.05 kickoff time. The Green Bay Packers 
go in to face the Seattle Seahawks for the NFC Championship? Well, I think this is going to come down largely to Aaron Rodgers and the ability of the Packers to protect him. Uh, obviously, Seattle's going to blitz. They're not going to go all, Den- or all Dallas and, and play a uh, zone and let Aaron Rodgers pick them apart. They're coming after him. Uh, now, can Ryan Lindley and the rest of the Packers' offensive line give up enough time on that Gibby Cav? And then also, how much uh, better is he uh, or worse is he with that Cav uh, is going to be a big factor. If he can get a little bit of time, uh, I, I like the Green Bay's offensive set a lot better than Seattle's and their ability to move the ball. Uh, Russell Wilson is an X factor, uh, but. I, I just think in the long run, Green Bay's got a little bit more, and I think this is their year. They're they're one of the teams that I picked at the very beginning, and uh, in the other game the other, is the other team. So we'll get to this one first. I think Green Bay gets it done. It'll be a little low scoring, but 24 to 21 Packers to the Super Bowl. Well, this will be the third time that the Green Bay Packers will meet the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs, but the first time they ever played for the NFC Championship. We know the Packers won the last two. Uh, Of course, the great interception return, pick six in the 2003 NFC wildcard game. Uh, And then, of course, the the, the 2007 just uh, blowout. They won 42 to 20 over the uh, Green Bay Packers. I mean, the Green Bay Packers won over Seattle Seahawks. So this is quite the mountain for the Seahawks to climb. And that, I mean, it would be no better story for the Seahawks to get back into the Super Bowl, go back to back years, and then beating one of the teams that they couldn't beat in the last, you know, uh, decade. Uh, we know the Packers are three and two in the NFC Championship game. They won the last two that they played on the road, uh, so that bids well for the Packers. Um, and both these teams were the only teams to go seven and one over their final eight games in this in this season. So I mean, these teams are coming in hot, hot. I mean, hotter than any teams could. When we talk about the matchups on the field, I I, I can't say enough. You talked about the attack, and one of the great plays with we talk about the offensive line. We talk about rookie Corey Lindsley, of course, of the Ohio State University the national champions. This guy had a hell of a play, but he he was a little lost out there, and there was one quick snap. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, doesn't know that Corey Lindsley or didn't realize in the moment that Corey Lindsley played for the Ohio State Buckeyes and they used that clap as a snap. And I know Corey Lindsley literally had a flashback to playing for Ohio State. He heard that clap and he snapped that ball fast when he wasn't supposed to. Now, Aaron Rodgers caught the ball and still uh, made a play with it, but it was just one of those things that immediately I know he had a brain fart. And you saw you saw after the play he went up to Rodgers and said, man, I'm sorry. But I know they had to be talking about that after the game. Um, that, that was the Ohio State snap count. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be key if Andrew Corliss, the South Carolina Gamecock, and Devontae Adams, the rookie, who had a huge, huge game, uh, for Green Bay this last weekend over the Cowboys. Those two guys got to continue to make plays for Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, we've seen Aaron Rodgers get it out. Can, can you know, Eddie Lacy spell him enough to keep him off that leg and happen not to be the the, the go-to end-up guy? If it is a grind game, like you say, Eddie Lacy's going to be huge. Can he run 
on that front four of Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill because we know when they pin their airbacks on the passing attack and you talk about blitzing Bruce Irvin, uh, the linebacker for the Seahawks, those guys are going to be coming all over Athens. So you know that that, that front seven for the Seattle Seahawks is going to be coming in. And then it's going to come down to Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Thomas and Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, that secondary for the Seahawks, the Legion of Boom, whether or not they can stop Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb out there. I mean, this is going to be a great one to watch. It's going to be a great one to watch. I agree. I think the game's going to be low scoring. But I think the real key on this one is going to be a Seattle offense. Uh, They actually, you know, everybody talks about beast mode with the Skittles and Marshawn Lynch. But Robert Turbin, the change of pace back, is a real key for Russell Wilson and that Seattle offense. And uh, the other key to me, I I mentioned the tight end for the Green Bay Packers. I love the tight end, the former Oakland Raiders, Zach Miller, for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, And you can't say enough about the Colorado Buffalo Paul Richardson, the rookie making plays for the Seattle Seahawks, and Jermaine Kearse, probably the most underrated uh, receiver in the NFL. Um, I like the Seattle passing attack to make the difference against the secondary of the Green Bay Packers. I like the Seattle Seahawks to go to the Super Bowl. I like the Seahawks here 24-17 to over the Green Bay Packers. One quick last thing on the matchup. Uh, you made a great point. Eddie Lacy's going to have to – really carry a big load in this one and some of the role players. I think the advantage, one of the advantages the Packers have is the size of that Seattle defense. They up front, that front seven, they're fast, but they're not very big. And if you can push them around and run right at them, I think you can have some success against that. Uh, So you're right. I think that is going to be the key to the game, whether or not Eddie Lacy and the Packers can have success running right at the Seattle defense. Yeah, Michael Bennett has had an amazing year on that front line for Seattle. Uh, I mean, what else are you going to be watching on Sunday? You know, so we're going to be watching it. You know, it's going to be a great game. Uh, they're the two best teams in the NFC uh, have been in the second half of the season, as we said. And, I mean, it's going to be a slobber knocker. It's going to be a slobber knocker. But I think Seattle, it's just going to be poetic. I think they got the momentum of history on their side to finally get one against the Green Bay Packers. And, Aaron, I mean, you really have to say – and. The thing is, people question whether or not this guy was soft in the past. Aaron Rodgers might be one of the toughest quarterbacks in the NFL, and then we're seeing something unprecedented from him. So, Sunday evening, as the sun goes down on the East Coast, we will be in Foxborough, Massachusetts, Gillette Stadium, as the Indianapolis Colts will go in to face the New England Patriots. You never know what you're going to get with Bill Belichick. Uh, last time uh, these two played, uh, Marquise Gray ran for 200-plus yards, and now he's not even active in the playoffs. Uh, Jonas Gray. Bill Belichick, or what is it? Jonas Gray. Jonas Gray, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Jonas Gray, yeah, Marquise Gray. Jonas Gray uh, ran for 200-plus yards against the Colts the first time, and and now he's not even active in the playoffs. So you never know what you're going to get with Bill Belichick. The only thing I know I'm going to get is Tom Brady, uh, and he's going to make plays, and he's going to be the best quarterback on the field this day. Uh, I just don't think Indianapolis, outside of Andrew Luck, has enough. They had a great game plan uh, and were able to take it to Denver and force Peyton Manning to throw long, and we all know now that he was hurt and wasn't able to make those throws. Uh, Tom Brady can make those throws. They're not going to be able to take away enough to to be able to limit the New England offense. 
I think that this is Tom Brady going out in style. Um, no running game to speak of for Indianapolis either. I'm taking the Colts in this one, 31-24. Or, I'm sorry, I'm taking the Patriots in this one, uh, 31-24, and that will set up the Super Bowl matchup. New England versus Green Bay that I had predicted at the beginning of the season. I just can't believe you pick against the best quarterback in the league that you tout I know, week it's in it's and hard. week out. Week it in and week hard. out on this podcast, you kept but saying this guy was the best quarterback in the league. And I kept saying Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, like I'm running down names. You kept telling me Andrew Luck is the best quarterback in the league, and you picked against them. This is, I think this is unprecedented. Three weeks in a row? I know you picked against uh, – I know you – Yes. So, you know. Uh, I I picked three three weeks in a row against them. So, uh, now my money's on the Colts. So I mean, I was going to pick the Patriots, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is just <laughs> You keep counting Andrew Luck out, and he keeps proving you wrong, even though you were the guy's biggest supporter in the regular season. I don't understand. I am missed I still am. I, just, I think it's the, the rest of the parts around Andrew Luck. I think Andrew Luck's still the best quarterback in this league. Oh, man, you got a hard way of showing it. Um, well, I'm not going to say Andrew Luck doesn't have help around him. That That offensive line was amazing against Denver's uh, rushing attack last week. Uh, we saw a boom heron. Get the ball. Uh, Boom Heron's the man out there. Terrence, uh, I mean, we know Richardson stinks, but, you know, Boom Heron, Ohio State Buckeye, playing huge right now. Um, we know the pedigree, of course, the national champions. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. The guy comes from a great program. I will say this, you know, the last two losses from Andrew Luck in Foxborough, both of those scores, both of those games went into the fourth quarter with just one score, and then the Patriots pulled away. Um I think Luck this time, if that if that game is tight, close, I think Luck, I really, see, you got me messed up. I was, you know what, I'll go with I'll go you. With it. I don't care. I'll go with <laughs> to just yeah, I'll go with Andrew Luck. I really, yeah, it, it's one of these things. I like the matchup with Darrell Revis and Brandon Brown are out there against the secondary, so you got Akeem Nixon and whatnot. But the real matchup is going to be T.Y. Hilton with Kyle Arrington in the slot on him when he lines up there. Um, but I think that they, the, I think that 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 Patriots, the Baltimore Ravens show with Justin Forsett that you can run on the Patriots, and I think Boom Heron's going to have a big day. He's got the fresh legs, young running back. Um, he he's just going to run wild on that Patriots team, and you're going to see that take the pressure off of Andrew Luck. That then he just has to make the winning plays. Um, the Colts defense has played inspired football, led by former Cleveland Brown Dequell Jackson. Um, yeah, I, I'll go with the Colts. I go with the Colts here. Once again, I, I I go with the Colts here, thirty-one to twenty-four over the Pats. So I'm picking against the Golden Boy, my guy, Tom Brady. So I, I I will say this. I will say this. I hate the Patriots. I do hate the Patriots with a passion, but I do like Tom Brady. The guy, this guy, you know, he's got that Midwest swag that you can only you can only understand if you're from the Midwest. The guy does it right. He's married to a supermodel. I mean, what's not to like about Tom Brady? So you know what I'm saying. Uh, and, you know, it's one, it, it, he's got the competitiveness. You see it out there. You know. Um, so. Yeah, just that, just the fact that he went to Michigan. That's the only thing, <laughs> the big knock on him. It, it, well, it's two guys, it's three guys that I really like that went to Michigan that I don't knock. Um, it's the you know, Derek Jeter, Tom Brady, and of course Charles Woodson that I've always and, I mean, and Braylon it, Braylon Edwards. No, I hate Braylon Edwards. That guy can go second no. half. You know what I'm saying? I like Steve Everett. He's all right. 
Steve Everett was he's good. All, he's all right. He was a good know, I mean, Leroy Horde wasn't uh, horrible. <laughs> all right. Well, we, let us not go down there. <laughs> yeah, at, this, this Pats-Colts game is going to be one for the ages. And this, I mean, if Andrew Luck, think about this. Andrew Luck can literally cement his legacy and definitely say that the NFL is moving forward to the next step of great quarterbacks if he takes out both Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in weeks back-to-back. The only other person he would have to face that just so happened to be on the other side of the playoff tree would be Joe Flacco. So do we move into an era where the AFC's best quarterbacks then would be Andrew Luck and Joe Flacco? Right, and I, I think the great thing there is you've got, no matter what, who wins this, and let's go by your matchup, you know, you got Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck. The the future of the NFL as far as what we can see right now at quarterback. And Russell Wilson's already up one nothing on Andrew Luck. If he were to win the Super Bowl against Andrew Luck, then you could start talking that Russell Wilson might be the best quarterback in the NFL. Well, there's no question. I mean, we talk about that Super Bowl matchup. Here's a spoiler alert. I'm going with the Seahawks, okay? I think they're just a team of destiny <laughs> at that point. Um yeah. and there's no way I don't care what I don't care how, how much luck Andrew has. Ain't no way he's beating Russell Wilson in that Seahawks uh, in the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, well, it's not going to matter. We'll anyway, save that for the Tom Super Bowl Brady. Show, so. Yeah. <laughs> so plenty of much, plenty more podcasting of that good variety coming at you. Uh, we now, for those who like to wager, we now go in the book with Jake for your AFC and FC outlook. Welcome back inside the book, guys. Uh, real quick, I'll give you the the numbers here. Green Bay at Seattle. Seattle's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite with a total of 47 for the game. Uh, so, I mean, it's going to be relatively low scoring according to the market. Uh, I think seven-and-a-half points in this game is way too much, especially against a Seattle team that's built on defense. Uh, I know they can score a little bit, but I, I just don't. If Green if – Green, if, if Aaron Rodgers is as good as he was last week against Dallas, I don't see any way that this game uh, gets away from Green Bay. And uh, I think seven and a half points is a, a fairly safe number. The total, uh, I, I think it, I think it's going to play to the under, but I don't love that. Uh, it, it, as as you saw last week uh, in Seattle, Seattle was able to put up uh, thirty-one on Carolina. So uh, it, it, it's a number that I would stay away from. Uh, Indy at New England. Uh, right now, New England is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. They were seven earlier in the week. Uh, the total is 53-and-a-half, so Vegas is expecting a pretty high-scoring game. Um, I, I like New England at six-and-a-half. At seven, I pass. Uh, I think that New England is able to pull away a little bit at the end. But uh, Indy is definitely capable of keeping this close, so I, I don't love that number. But uh, definitely my strongest play this week is Green Bay plus 7.5 points. If you can get it, jump on it. Uh, it should be good. Uh, enjoy your weekend of championship football and keep cashing. All right. Well, the next time you hear from us, we will be talking the Lombardi Trophy, Super Bowl. Who's going to be there? We will let you know on the next with an Ohio Bias podcast. Enjoy your Sunday and love football.
don't know. I just gotta pull this run down. We're going straight in. I gotta, I gotta stop. I, there's a couple things I gotta make sure I don't go off on a tangent on, start screaming about. So, gotta control myself over here. Oh yeah, we got. I mean, I meant uh, that's what I meant to tell you at the beginning of the show. I forgot we were talking cat. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented, unprecedented response. You know what I'm saying? From Is the, it? That's oh, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The also Twitter too, love. Also. Yeah, no, the Twitter love. The people like, but people like. I forgot to even put the link in the one Twitter love. She's like, "How do you listen to the show?" The one lady's like, you know what I'm saying? I, put, <laughs> I forgot. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. All right, here we go. Um, and then, like, here's one more for you. So, BJ and Wanda were down to Dallas. They ran into a guy we went to Ohio State with. And yada, 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 you know, the guy asked about me. They're like, oh, yeah, he started a podcast. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, they, so they pulled it up on the phone. He's like, that with an Ohio body? He's like, I go to that site. I listen to that all the time. I didn't know that was Demetrius. You know what I'm so I don't know what's going on. People can't even put two and two together out here. But, you know what I'm saying, people are listening <laughs> to stuff. Yeah, you know I'm saying that was pretty cool. Uh-huh. That is cool. The sponsorship money will be rolling in any day now. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's hope so. Uh, <laughs> I gotta pull the Twitter love right now. Well, I'll do it. I'll do it. I can pull it during the middle of the show. What we're doing this one. This is an easy one. So. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, it's true. The Ohio State Buckeyes did the impossible. They are the national champions of the first ever college football playoff. I am D. Cleveland born and raised. Ohio born and bred. And I'm Jake. From Youngstown to Columbus, we are champions. We, I mean, we have been celebrating since Monday night. We wanted to get this podcast to you as fast as possible, but the revelry was just too much. Um, You know, everybody's walking tall celebrating the performance of the Ohio State Buckeyes. In this podcast, we're going to give you a rundown. We're going to have a little Twitter love out there for everybody during this podcast. Uh, We're going to recap the Oregon versus Ohio State. We're going to say what it really means to the great state of Ohio, uh, put in some of the words and the the things that uh, were shared by the players and by Coach Urban Meyer. Uh, We're also then going to just recap the bowl season, talk about the Big Ten's impact now on college football and what the – 
Ohio State win means for college football. I'll put that into perspective for you. Then we're going to talk about how bright, how bright the future is at the Ohio State University and use a word that a lot of people didn't think they, they were ready for. Um, but it, what next year is going to be, Urban Meyer's legacy, uh, and then also, too, we're going to have a special homage to the gentleman who was part of the coin toss that we told you we were very excited about. He had a blazer on representing him getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. But we saw the scarlet tie and the scarlet sweater vest, and that would be Jim Trussell. Yeah, it was Amazing. great to yeah no it was great to have Coach Trussell on the field. Uh, the synergy was tremendous. The fact that he got to see his seniors uh, that he that he uh, drafted that he recruited uh, walk off the field in Dallas as the first ever national champions. I, I can't imagine uh, other than coaching them there that there would be anything sweeter for uh, Coach Tress. What a great, great uh, way to almost tie it all together. As far There's as no the question. game... No, go ahead. I was, yeah, go ahead. There's no question. We want to go ahead and we'll be doing a little Twitter love as we go from segment to segment here. Uh, we're, we're just, I mean, it's euphoria. It's, it's, it's pure euphoria, pure happiness that the Ohio State is a national championship. And we want to give a shout-out to all the folks that were been riding with us on, on Twitter all year long. I mean, we, 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 you know, since we started with an Ohio bias, we've been overwhelmed by the tremendous response and the, the just love that you guys have out there. And we, we can't say enough for all the folks that we get to interact with. I mean, want to give a shout-out, Twitter shout-out. At Cleve, at Cleve Troy. That's what I wanted to write down. I'm glad I just saw that. All right. I'll pick that back up. Leave it. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We will see you on the other side recapping the big win of the Ohio State University over the Oregon Ducks. It gets no better when you hear that song, when you hear the Queen, you know that your team has won a championship. Uh, we hadn't heard it since 2002, but it feels so damn good to be right. As predicted here on With an Ohio Bias, for weeks and weeks we told you Ohio State was playing the best football in the country, and Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeye football team definitely showed and proved that was the case. 49-20 to 20 victory over the Oregon Ducks. Jake, we're going to be breaking this one down in and out, but what are some of the first reactions that you had to the national championship? Well, first the excuse me. Well, first the the song very appropriate. The first line we've paid our dues time after time. That's for sure. Uh, with all sports that we root for, um, the game itself 
uh, you know, to, to have four turnovers and to not have it be a close game, uh, it just a testament of what we said, how, how much better this, this roster was, how much better of a team this was, how they played for their brothers, um, uh, the job that the coaches did in motivating this team. Um, as far as being on the field, you know, the defense was able to get momentum. Cardell didn't have his best game, but, he, I mean, his size and the ability and his will to run over guys and pick up first downs, uh, the offensive line just dominating that defensive line. Their, their defensive ends, the much ballyhooed defensive ends of Oregon, had their hands on their hips uh, midway through the second quarter. Uh, so, you know, our, our O-line and our road graders and our new offensive uh, coordinator, Ed Warner, um, did a great job with that unit. Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he can't say enough about the guy and uh, his his motor. Um, the, just uh, there was so much as far as the the components of the team and how they work together and, and how Coach Meyer was able to uh, – get them like like I said earlier and like it's been very well documented to to play for their brother uh and I I think that was what I took away most was the the team effort there's no question first I'll say this all the assistant coaches deserve a race um maybe not Luke Fickle that guy's making enough but he finally earned that money so shout out to Luke Fickle we've been I've been one of his biggest detractors um guy earned it Hey, your national championship, I ain't got nothing bad to say about your brother. We talk about Chris Ash and Larry Johnson, first year to come in here and do what they did, be a part of the staff, and work together and and, and find the synergy that it takes. Uh, Tom Herman, on his way out, called a hell of a game. We got what we wanted. They just slammed that ball. Woody Hayes would have been, been literally smiling down from heaven the way Ezekiel Elliott was running that ball. And We've got to speak about the performance of Ezekiel Elliott real quick. Over 200 yards in championship games in all three games. Over 200 yards in the Big Ten Championship. Over 200 yards in the Sugar Bowl. Over 200 yards in the Big Ten Championship against Wisconsin Badgers. Over 200 yards in the Sugar Bowl against the Alabama Crimson Tide. and Two touchdowns in both of those games respectively. And then four touchdowns against the Oregon Ducks and over 200 yards in the National Championship game. One of the most unprecedented performances of three games back-to-back in big-time games. Big-time players step up in big-time games. Zeke Elliott, the spirit of St. Louis, you can't say more about what this young man did and what as he did in every opportunity he got, he thanked that Buckeye offensive line. And I'm telling you, you saw the growth of five young men play together as a unit from that time that they got flat out whooped by the Virginia Tech Hokies. They put pulled themselves together up a week later, and from that time on, they were better, and they kept getting better. Um, just a tremendous performance by the offensive line. Uh, shout out to the coaching staff for putting those guys. You saw, you mentioned Ed Werner. Uh, I said it. I told you Mariota wasn't the key to this game. I told you that strength coach Mickey Mariotti was the one. And you saw a Buckeye football team get stronger and faster as the game went on. They wore down that Oregon football team. Um, you know, some of the things that we told you that were keys to the game, Oregon came out very well to start the game. But the Buckeye defense, and credit to the Silver Bullets, this unit, uh, Tyvis Powell, defensive MVP of the game. Of course, Ezekiel Elliott was offensive MVP of the national championship. But Tyvis Powell, 
Doran Grant, Armani Reeves, you know, Darren Lee, Joshua Perry, Steve Miller, Michael Bennett, Adolphus Washington was a huge game, Joey Bosa. This Ohio State defensive unit disrupted what Oregon wanted to do to the fact that, and, you know, it's not my fault that Oregon's receivers wanted to smoke weed, you know. Their receivers were dropping balls. Dwayne Stanford, the the Cincinnati product, dropped what sure would have been a surefire touchdown. We saw the other young man drop a first down catch. Uh, so it allowed the Buckeye defense to get off the field and that offense to get back on the field. And we know what the offense did. They just dominated Oregon. This was a dominating performance by the Ohio State Buckeyes. A dominating performance. A lot has been made about the last touchdown scored by. Uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, and there's a lot of folks out there trying to throw shade and uh, are upset and saying that it was a classless touchdown. Let me tell you something right now, college football fans around America, wherever you might be in this world, this is a statement. The Ohio State University is here in college football. This program is back where it's supposed to be. And it was a statement touchdown to let you put you all on notice out there. It's no fluke. It's a 59-0 dismantling in the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. A dismantling of your SEC Kings, Alabama Crimson Tide, and the so-called best coach in the SEC and in the nation, Nick Saban, took them to the woodshed and beat them in the trenches, which they said could not be done. The fastest team in football, the Pac-12 Kings for the last 10 years, the, the best technique and offensive system disrupted and dismantled by the Ohio State Buckeye football team. And no, we're not going to stop scoring points until the clock reaches zero. Yeah, I had, I had no problem with them dotting the I, as Chris Fowler said. Um, you know, I'm not going to say the game was still in doubt, but there wasn't anything to do. You weren't going to just take a knee and give the ball back to Oregon down two scores, and you weren't going to kick a field goal. So it just was a product of, I think, the situation. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, they gave the guy 34 carries. You talk about Mickey Morietti and the, the strength and conditioning of this team. Yeah, this is the third straight week, and, and almost, and not only the the physical conditioning, the emotional conditioning, to be able to handle the success of blowing out Wisconsin and taking down the Kings of the SEC, and then having to play the national title game against uh, another team that was heavily favored over you. Man, you just can't say enough. And you mentioned those drops early. Uh, those were huge plays because we were on our heels at the beginning. They went down and scored that first touchdown right away, and then uh, we got uh, the, the defense got put right back on the field. And if they can extend those drives and go up fourteen nothing, we might be talking a little bit of a different game uh, as far as how close it was. I think the Buckeyes still would have won, but um, it, it's the, those drops signify to me the mental toughness of this team and versus the other team. We, we had those turnovers, but how do you respond to those turnovers? How do you respond to the drops? And we were able to respond. And I think that was, to me, the mark of the true champions. 
Yeah, I forgot the Buckeyes did have four turnovers in a national championship game, and they still won. They had, they had four three turnovers. They had three turnovers against Alabama, and they still won. Blew them out. Oh, four on the turnover battle. Minus four. You know, it, it, it's almost disrespectful for anybody to make an argument that Ohio State's not the best team in the country right now. Uh, you know, but I'll, I'll tell you this right now. It, it, it feels so damn good. We've been saying it all year long. Um, it, it just galvanized my belief in what I know about football, what I know to be true about being from the state of Ohio, and what I know to be true about what Coach Meyer is capable of. Um, we, we we saw the best come out, and uh, we'll get to it later, but the best is still yet to come. We, we get back to this game. You, and when I talk about wearing down, the the Buckeyes wore the Oregon Ducks. Now, you saw Eric Armstead, you know, these guys were going out. I don't know if they were cramping or whatnot, but and this was early on, late third quarter, fourth quarter, that defense just couldn't handle the offensive line. And, I mean, I got to give a shout-out to Nick Van Nett. Um I had told a friend of mine, he was like, what's one of the keys to the game? I I was like, you know, John Hireman's coming back. I don't know if the guy's ready to be in the flow. You know, this Nick Vanette guy has been amazing. We saw Nick Vanette catch the touchdown, but more importantly, we saw Nick Vanette just blowing people up, pulling, blocking. I mean, just blowing people up time after time. And that's why I give the shout-out to Mickey Mariotti and the strength coach for Ohio State University. Uh, you know, it, it's just the job he did to get these guys – being able to play at this level in, in an unprecedented run. They had to play extra games, and they were better for it. I think the Ohio State University could play another game right now. So shout-out to those folks that want to get into our, uh, into the AT&T Stadium and put up signs talking about play TCU next week. TCU wants no part of the Buckeyes. I'll tell you that right now. And who knows? There's always next year. TCU is supposed to be pretty good. Maybe they'll get their shot. One of the other things I'll speak to, we talked about the coaching matchup. I don't know why in hell Mark Helfrich decided in that second quarter not to take a field goal and to try to go against the Silver Bullets on a fourth and goal. I think that was a defining play of the game right there. Because uh, you just you – the momentum was constantly building up. since. So from the kickoff, we saw, you know, the Ohio State band, shout out to the best damn band in land. You know, they set it off with the, the, the sounds and the sights, the script Ohio. So, you know, you saw – even with the telecast, you saw the way Ohio State was coming out of the tunnel. The Ducks were coming out a little ho-hum. Ohio State was fired up, just fired up, just ready to be there, ready to go. And, I mean, the energy – um, and you talked about those turnovers. It never felt like, even with those turnovers, uh, if you were on Twitter, it felt like Ohio State was going to lose. But for us true believers and the real Buckeye fans out there, you never wavered. We had seen this team constantly do this to us. The, they're just a young football team. You saw Corey Thomas. This guy's trying to, you know, stay in bounds to get more yards, and he could have just went out of bounds and had a great play. You know, it, you you, you kind of at a fault sometimes. These kids, you know, you just you're just a little frustrated, but. It wasn't like they were – these were all self-inflicted wounds that happened. And how Cardell had that same Jameis Winston fumble, I will say that was uh, quite the quite the irony, and there might be some mojo going on with these Ducks uh, getting those kind of turnovers. But Ohio State overcome it, and they are the national champions. Yeah, great job all around uh, the, the, to be able to overcome four turnovers and still put the whipping on them. 
just it goes to I, I think the biggest mismatch wasn't the players on the field. It was Urban Meyer versus Mark Helfrich, and and it wasn't about that one game. It was about Urban Meyer over the process of a whole season uh, and, and the impact that he makes on a football club. There's no doubt about that. And you heard Urban Meyer after the press conference. Um, you know, it, 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 first of all, there's one other thing I want to speak to. The Joey Bosa hit on Marcus Mariota was not a dirty hit. He's been get, catching a lot of flack on Twitter from the Oregon Ducks fans. The guy that – it just wasn't a dirty hit. Um, the Raekwon McMillan hit actually was a little further after the whistle than Joey Bosa hit. You know, but those aren't dirty plays. That these guys, you know, they're pushing him, and he just fell on top of the dude. I don't, you know, and we saw Marcus Mariota go out with a little bit of a shoulder injury. That might be questioned for him in the future, especially if he goes to the NFL. But, um, you know, I, I can't say enough. That defensive line really stepped up and played. The, we talked about the defense. Um, shout out to Devin Smith making another huge catch. Jalen Marshall with that first catch. Um, you know, the the Buckeye receiving core, we talked about them, but it goes back to, to Cardale Jones. To play as big as he's played in these last three games, um, the Ohio State story, only a team from the state of Ohio could have a story like this. Uh, no, all these kids are not from the state of Ohio, but we started with a kid from the state of Ohio. He went down in Braxton Miller. We then go to a kid from Wichita Falls, Texas, who had to find – he had the leadership within himself but had to find it and found it and led this team. And then we see Cardell Jones pick up the baton. So it was almost like a relay race that the Buckeyes ran, and they were victorious at the end. Um Cardell Jones, the Cleveland product, the hardest road of anybody. Cardell Jones kind of spoke to it in a press conference afterwards. He was there. He walked in the same time Urban Meyer was, and he saw, you know, what the Buckeyes that went through, worked with these seniors and whatnot. And I got to say something. You talked about the, you know, playing for their brothers. There's a lot to be said for a senior football player who had been through all the things that they had been through and to have guys that clearly have more talent than you and to be able to step aside at points and let those guys step up and be, you know, get more time than you, that that says a lot. That That's true leadership there. Everybody wanted to play a part. Everybody wanted to play their role, um, you know, and for a structure to be in place by that set by Coach Meyer, there's nothing better. Uh, something that Coach Meyer said stood out, you know, he's from Ashville, Ohio, uh, married a Miss Ohio, of course, and shout out to Shelly Meyer and the Meyer family. Um, supporting Urban during this whole run and supporting the Ohio State Buckeyes and doing their job as being great ambassadors for the Ohio State football team. You know, it, it's one of these things. Urban said it, it felt so comfortable to be back in Ohio. You know, you go to a high school, you go visit uh, different places, you always see a face or you know somebody there. He talked about how the impact had on just his family, his sisters, and the folks that have lived in Ohio his whole life. I you know, he's won championships before, but this one, it's a little bit different because the state of Ohio needed it more than anybody else right now. And I think that really puts it in perspective. Uh, the job done by people, we talk about Michael Bennett wearing it for Costa Care George, all the different stories. And then the, the young man that was featured during Sports Center that's been around the program all year that has muscular dystrophy. 
that has muscular dystrophy, Jacob Jones. I mean, yeah, Jacob Jarvis. Jarvis, yeah. Jacob Jarvis. You know, you, this Ohio State team just they played the right way. They played for each other. They played the best that they could play. They left it all out there on the field every time, and they were just they they had they had probably one of the most impressive runs in college football history, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, let me say on, well, on the night of the championship after it was all said and done, I just, you know, this, the amount of satisfaction and uh, happiness and euphoria that we talked about was just washing over, uh, watching Sports Center over and over, and it, by the by three in the morning, it felt like, oh wait, I've seen this before. <laughs> so I didn't even realize I was watching the same Sports Center, and I'm going through the Twitter timeline, and these pictures of Jacob Jarvis uh, on the field show up, and it was the one time that I cried, and it wasn't because of Jacob Jarvis and his cerebral palsy. That was great we're all Jacob Jarvis, you know, and he goes through the most and, but everybody in Ohio goes through something. They've got their own things going on and the distraction of, of football or sports or whatever, it's what sometimes carries you through and gives you happiness and is your distraction. And whether it's a distraction from an illness like Jacob Jarvis or a distraction from uh, a job or a, uh, some financial troubles or whatever it might be, you know, we're all Jacob Jarvis. And, and uh, it, it, the fact that we have that young man and the courage that he goes through and, and how Ohio state football program embraced him, brought him in, made him part of the team, made him feel part of the team. I think in some way, that's how we all feel that we all feel a part of this team, that we all feel like we were brought in and, uh, it, it, uh, you know, I can't say enough about the kid and the motiv- the motivation that he gives. And uh, God bless, and uh, I hope he continues to fight the good fight and uh, lives a long life. I still don't think that folks are giving Ohio State the credit they deserve. I'm sorry. You know, this this run <laughs> – this run by the Ohio State Buckeye football team, the way that they played football, the turnovers, the responding, the Cardell Jones was unflappable in that game. Uh, you know, they tried to talk about his demeanor going to the sideline. You know, and, I, and one of the things that I'll draw a comparison to is we saw in the Rose Bowl game against Oregon, Jameis Winston have that same type of fumble. He went to the sideline, was screaming, you know, just the the the, the – the composure was not there. Cardell Jones went to the sideline, talked to all of his offensive linemen, sat back down, you know, talking to the coaches and came back out, responded. And, I mean, there's something got to be said. This guy is your third-string quarterback. Yeah, they kept repeating it on SportsCenter and whatnot, but I don't think it really sunk into a lot of people the way this guy played, that he was the third-string quarterback because he didn't play that way. I don't think people really believed it, that he was the third string on the depth chart. I mean, people just, you know, they just took it for a fact because that's how well he played. Um, we, 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 we're, it, it ah, these Ohio State Buckeyes, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I shed a tear. I was so happy uh, just because, it was something that I had seen a long time coming. Me and my one good friend, JC, the guy I told this story on the podcast before, he told me Urban Meyer was the answer when we were at the Sugar Bowl uh, watching, you know, 
Jim Tressel and, and, and the Ohio State Buckeye team at that time before we knew the whole Tattoo Gate stuff had come out. But it was just the Buckeyes, the, the style that Tressel was playing against Arkansas and the way we had lost the games before to Florida and to LSU that, you know, college football was trending in a different direction. And he was saying that Urban Meyer was the one. And this was in, like, the, the first quarter of the game. And I looked at the guy. It was like blasphemy. You know, I, I I mean, I thought we were going to go to blows right there. That's how angry I was that the guy even said that. You know, it, replacing Jim Trussell, are you serious? But I watched a couple of the series play, and I started thinking about it, and I realized he was correct. You know, like, it it, it was just the, the – I didn't I didn't foresee what was going to happen in Jim Trussell leaving in that way, but I knew at some point the perfect transition was to bring it in Urban Meyer because we knew the one thing that you want more than anybody else, you want somebody that wants to do it for something greater than themselves. And to have Urban Meyer, a guy from Ohio that knows what it means to be from Ohio, and that's one of the things he starts out most of his statements with, you know, I think that bigger goal than his personal success, which he's been successful everywhere, I think that helps him stay focused, stay grounded, stay not killing himself to be successful. Um, and I think that energy and that passion really shows, and it it, it 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 rippled through this Buckeye football team through this year and helped them achieve the greatest success, and that is being national champions. I'll let that we talked about no, no, no. We're back, and of course, all the Buckeyes do is win. Uh, lots been said since Virginia Tech, but we told you we predicted on the show Michigan State. We told you Michigan. We told you, you know, we told you this was coming. The Buckeyes now, you know, and even with the Big Ten, the Michigan State went over Baylor, and the Wisconsin went over Auburn. The Buck, the Big Ten has made a statement out here in college football, and the Ohio State put the cherry on top of the Sunday. Ohio State University put the cherry on top of the Sunday. College football now goes through the Big Ten, and it goes through Columbus, Ohio. So if you want to be successful, if you want to play with the big boys, you got to put the Big Ten on your schedule. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams afraid to do that coming here in the future. Yeah, it, it's great to have the Big Ten have a little bit of respect back. I mean, it's been a tough few years, uh, since, and you can kind of directly put it to when Trestle left. Uh, it was it was tough. We were we weren't in a great spot. We were uh, banned. For, uh, we should have been self-imposed banned from a bowl game. Um, there was just a lot of bad stuff going on. The the league was down. Um, and for us to be able to come full circle and uh, credit also to Mark D'Antonio and uh, the Wisconsin football program for also helping out on the cause of getting uh, the SEC uh, a little dose of reality and that they aren't the kings of the world. Uh, It's great to see the Big Ten back and relevant. And, yeah, maybe we're not getting the respect we deserve, but we're getting some respect, which is finally – uh, well deserved. Now, one of the things we talked about on this podcast that was one of the most grievous, grievous 
injustices during this season, and it was suffered through our own conference, was how Urban Meyer didn't win Coach of the Year and how Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, we know Ezekiel Elliott was behind Melvin Gordon, but how these guys got no consideration for these. <laughs> I mean, Urban Meyer should have been the Coach of the Year in the Big Ten. There's no question. Um and the coach of the year, I mean, uh, a coach uh, as a national coach of the year, that award went to Gary Patterson. How that doesn't happen to Urban Meyer, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me either, but it's uh, very well documented. The head coach at Ohio State, no matter what he does, uh, they don't give him credit for it because they expect it. And, you know, sometimes you have high expectations and that hurts that, but it, you're right. If, subjectively, there was nobody that did a better job this year than than Urban Meyer. I don't think an Ohio State head coach has ever won the coach of the year in the Big Ten. Nope. You know, that's what, and, you know to say that is unbelievable. A slap in the face. Especially when you consider every head coach for Ohio State since 1948, outside of Luke Fickle, is that is now in the College Football Hall of Fame. Urban Meyer's not yet, but he will be. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, they might they may name the Hall. I mean, when it's all said and done, the Hall of Fame might get named after Urban Meyer. Let's just be honest. Um, We got to put in this perspective what Urban Meyer has done. A lot has been made. Who's the best coach in the country right now? One of the things that you have to talk about when you talk about Urban Meyer's career, we know he started at Bowling Green, went on to great success at Utah. A lot a lot has been made about Nick Saban and the SEC over the last couple of years, but the the man who actually brought the SEC back was Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer came into the SEC. He brought the spread attack into the SEC that all the SEC teams now run, even Alabama. It was Urban Meyer who did that. Who did that? So he changed the face of the SEC, made them champions, started the run for them to have the championship run that they've had of success in the SEC. And now folks act like they forget that, and they try to credit Nick Saban with that success. Um, there's no question Nick Saban has been very successful. Two championships, you know, what I'm saying before he got to two championships at two different schools. You know, there's no question he's been successful, but. Urban Meyer was the key there. Urban Meyer saved the SEC, and he just saved the Big Ten. And I don't care what coach goes up north. Jim Harbaugh ain't challenging Urban Meyer. James Franklin, whatever that clown is out there in Unhappy Valley, these guys can't hold the candle to what Urban Meyer and what he's done for coaching and what he will continue to do at The Ohio State University. And you said that he changed the SEC. You know, I don't know if that goes far enough. He changed college football, the way football was played offensively, uh, and doesn't get the credit for that. There was no spread offense until Urban Meyer came in with uh, Alex Smith and Josh Harris and those guys and then took it to to Florida. So, And then Chip Kelly obviously took it to the next level at Oregon. So, I mean, <laughs> there's probably 70% of the country that can think they're offense to Urban Meyer. Yeah, he definitely did change. I, I, you're exactly right. He definitely did. He he has left an impact that um, we see these other teams, and I think that was part of the thing. You saw Mark Helfrick and Urban Meyer sit down uh, with ESPN. It was a great little piece they did with Hannah Storm. 
But, you know, Mark Helfrich was, you know, trying to be as respectful as possible and not show, uh, you know, deference that he, I mean, he's a huge fan of Urban Meyer and, and respects him so much as he is, as it was his opponent in the national championship. And that was kind of funny to see that uh, body language play out. We're coming back, and we're going to tell you how bright the future. We talked about Urban Meyer and what he's done for college football. What will he do for the Ohio State University? We will see you on the other side. Let me go through this Twitter love real quick. I got some of them ready. And we're talking to Twitter love. We got you covered through this whole podcast. We start at Gen Rock CLE, Jelly Bean. 1398, Johnny Boy Solo, Buckeye Cali Girl, OH Believe Land, That Dude BHZ, NEO underscore Buckeye, Brian 614, at Tom underscore Moreheart, at Drake 72 Jason, at Zubu 76, at D Lee 72, at R Hark underscore CLE Sports, and at Plymouth Dog, our guy living in the land up north holding it down for the Buckeyes. I know this guy made all those Michigan fans so unhappy as he was celebrating the Buckeyes National Championship. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with DNJ. We will see you on the other side. Yes, the future is so bright at the Ohio State University, you got to wear shades. I mean, and there was something I had picked up on. Actually, this was a statement that Urban Meyer started saying after the win of the team up north going into the Big Ten Championship. He kept saying, future is bright, future is bright, and it clicked with me one day. And that's when I knew the Ohio State. I, knew, I felt like they were going to win. They were the best team in the country, but I knew they were going to win this national championship then. And then I also knew that this was just the beginning. Ohio State lose very few players. We got a couple guys going. Uh, we got some seniors that were starters leaving, uh, one on the offensive line, um, one on defense. But just about everybody else is coming back, skills positions, and we're bringing in one of the hugest recruiting classes in the country. Dare I say it, but I'm going to speak it into existence just because it needs to be said. The Ohio State University is on the verge of a dynasty. There's no reason. And even after the press conference, you heard the guy saying that, yeah, Ezekiel Elliott saying, you know, want to come back and definitely win another national championship. That's what we're going to start working for. And Urban Meyer started speaking to it immediately, saying that was going to be the challenge in a couple of days for these Ohio State Buckeyes, you know, not to be complacent and definitely challenge themselves. It's going to be a hard road to go, it's no question. Schedule's a little easier. Uh, definitely got some payback for some little birds in Blacksburg, Virginia. That's going to be a day of reckoning coming early Labor Day come next year. But we still got some of the Big Ten teams on the schedule and still got to go back through the gambit that is the college football playoffs. And it's nothing new at Ohio State. Everybody's gunning for you anyway, but a little extra juice now that you're the national champs and everybody's going to want to knock you off. Uh, you mentioned that schedule. Uh, we play at Virginia Tech on September 7th as our first next game, so uh, we're not going to have to wait too long into the season uh, to get our revenge uh, against the Hokies. 
Uh, also, out of conference, we play at home against Hawaii, Northern Illinois, and Western Michigan. Uh, I got to give you the the Big Ten schedule real quick because it's a very doable schedule. I don't see any stumbling blocks at Indiana, no problem. Maryland, Penn State at home, at Rutgers. Uh, so you got to look out of there and uh, Poughkeepsie. Um, That's a bye week. Or, or, yeah, right. At, or, I mean, in Piscataway, not Poughkeepsie, Piscataway. Uh, then you come home for Minnesota, homecoming, go to Illinois and Champaign, and then the last two weeks we get Michigan. We have Michigan State at home on the 21st of November, followed the next week at Michigan, um, and the first matchup in what hopefully will be the new 10-year war with Jim Harbaugh. Well, I'll tell you this, that Michigan State game is a huge one just because of simple fact. Michigan State plays so much better at the end of the season than they do at the beginning. Uh, and they definitely, I mean, Connor Cook's coming back, so those guys will be ready to go. At home is a huge, huge deal, though. I'm, I'm very happy that we're going to get Sparty at home this year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, a lot's been made about Jim Harbaugh coming into coming into the Big Ten. There's no question, Mark D'Antonio – is the second best coach in the Big Ten. I mean, argument top five in the nation. I don't know I too agree many better that. than I, – I don't know too many. I mean, we, we'll go Saban. we go Meyer Saban. You know, I mean, I, right there, I think, you know, who, who else you got? I, I go to Mark D'Antonio, uh-huh. honestly, the, the way he's going. Who, who you got? Um, I don't know. Les Miles is up there for me. Uh, as far as the guy, not not over Mark Antonio, not I don't Les Miles so. has refu- no, Les Miles has refused to recruit a quarterback down there, and I mean they have a great defense, great running back, but they can't score points. It's been one of my biggest pet peeves with this guy. Refused to get a kicker, refused to get a quarterback. So until you do that, you're not going to. You know what I'm saying? In my opinion, so that's me. So, but yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, some guys out there. I mean, you got Jimbo Fisher. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say that any of them are better. You know. The, you, I mean, that's top five. I, I said top right. five. I mean, you can rank them where you want to. I mean, you can put Jimbo. You can put Les yeah. Miles in there, that little soup. But, I mean, I think the guy's definitely top five status out there in the country. I mean, we're not going to get sidetracked no, with the D'Antonio. We're not going to start yep. the D'Antonio podcast here. You know what I'm saying? But, no. um, but it, it's just one of those things. So, you you got two of the best in the Big Ten. I mean, I think that's going to be a huge matchup as we look forward to that and look forward to what Michigan State's going to do next year because you know they're hungry now seeing what the Ohio State Buckeyes could do once they got into the college football playoff. And got to have a conversation quickly about the college football playoff. I, of course, on the last podcast, I you know, you can make the argument. I, I made the argument against Florida State being in, um, definitely. But this college football playoff, much has been said whether or not it's successful or not. My thoughts is it definitely does need to move to eight teams. It's just too damn exciting. But they've got to schedule these games a little bit earlier and have it have a better result. And have it it, it really does need to end before students go back to school. Um, you know, or that national championship game is the last one as school starts back for students. I mean, you know, this is college football. The students are still important in student athletes' lives. Well, some of that's going to happen next year from. Uh... I believe next year the semifinals will happen on New Year's Eve. Uh, so college football is going to be going directly up against the restaurants, the the network programming for New Year's Eve, and there's a good chance there's going to be a football game happening at midnight. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting, different dynamic as college football looks to put its mark as, as the thing to do on New Year's Eve. 
so th- that will take care of some of that, and then you'll have the the normal uh, New Year's Day polls as well. So uh, I don't have all that information yet, but uh, there's some. It's going to be a little different next year going into it. Yeah, you can't have a game going on if the ball is dropping. I'm gonna say that too. You know, like that doesn't. You know, that don't that don't sit well with me. So I hope they don't. You know, uh, we talk about the college football committee though. They've got to make some changes on how they do things. Uh, clearly, we were not happy with the weekly uh, five-minute uh, dissertation or the dissemination of why they chose who and why somebody was here. Um, but as we look at it next year, we go into next year, we talked about the schedule. The Buckeyes should be ranked. I don't know how, not unless you're Mark Schleyball of ESPN, you don't have the Buckeyes ranked number one. Overall, the preseason AP is already out. The Buckeyes are number one. Oregon is number two. That's the final AP for this year. Oh, that's right. That's not. Yeah, okay. You're right. Oh, here's something for you. I did want to ask you this question. You know what I'm saying? How much was Vegas playing on the profit area and not as much as the outlook of who actually was going to be the national champion? We know a lot of Buckeyes cashed in big with the future bet of laying down cash early on in the season when the Buckeyes were 40-1, to 45-1 to odds. And it seemed even as the Buckeyes were underdogs going into every game, with the Big Ten Championship to the National Championship, Big Ten Championship, Sugar Bowl, National Championship, Vegas was against the Buckeyes each time. Were they going for profit over what the actual reality was going to be in the outcome? Thank you. You're on mute. You're talking. Oh, yeah, I am. Sorry. The thing you got to keep in mind about Las Vegas and is that they're not a prediction machine. They're not trying to predict how the outcome of a game is going to be. What they're doing is they're setting the market. They're setting a, a line to get equal betting on both sides of the spectrum uh, so that they can collect what is called the juice. The, the, uh, you, you pay a dollar ten to win a dollar. Uh, so, uh, if, if you got equal money and one half wins and one half loses, all you're really collecting is that 10 cents from everybody on the losing end uh, so that you could pay out the other side. Uh, the lines are interesting. It's more of a reflection of what the public thinks more than what Las Vegas thinks is what I would say to the question as far as the line goes. And anytime you have the group of uh, an I, uh, of a big group of informed people choosing sides, you're also going to have a big group of uninformed people choosing sides. And that's where you get the, the discrepancy in uh, what the actual thought process is as far as who's going to win versus the, the number that Las Vegas will put out there. I don't know if that cleared that up or not. Well, it didn't for me, but hey, that's fine. I just need a little time to pull this up. Um, we talk about the final AP poll. The Ohio State Buckeyes, of course, finished number one. The Oregon Ducks finished number two. The TCU Horn Frogs come in at number three over the number four Alabama Crimson Tide. 
tied for number fifth, but first is of the two tied for number fifth. First of the two tied for number five are the Michigan State Spartans. The other tie at number five is the Florida State Seminoles. Then you have at number seven the Baylor Bears. Number eight, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Number nine, the Georgia Bulldogs. And number 10, the UCLA Bruins. So that's your top 10 rolling out. The Wisconsin Badgers finished number 13. And that is all the Big Ten teams that are in the final AP poll. Uh, We will give a shout-out to some of the other schools out there that you don't hear a lot about. Oh, shit, that Oregon dude is out of there. He needs to go, though. Eric Armstead declared for the NFL draft. I didn't see that. Marshall is number 23, and the Memphis, the Marshall Thundering Herd is number 23, and the Memphis Tigers are number 25 in your final AP poll. Paul, so congratulations to Boise State for being in the final 25, and also to Georgia Tech, who finished ahead of Georgia in the final AP poll, that's something that doesn't happen every day. Yeah, well, I mean, you know my opinion on that. I don't even understand how Georgia's in the top ten, but we'll save that for another podcast in the future. Um, I must must have misheard you. you, There's only one SEC team you mentioned in the top five. Where are the other three? They're still picking up the pieces and remembering the good times in October. Oh, I I don't know. Maybe my ears are going bad, but I thought you said there were two Big Ten teams in the top five. That can't be right. No, that's correct. Wow. Amazing. Okay, you're on notice now, SEC. I think one of the funniest things, too, the fall, the Paul Feinbaum show has been hijacked by Buckeye Nation. So, you know, <laughs> you, that, that's pretty funny. The SEC network, actually. You know, and here's another commentary real quick. The Big Ten Network's got to do better, man. It, I mean, it, the programming, everything, it, it, they are, they're getting circles ran around them. And I know it's ESPN, and I, and I know they don't have the backing in the way the SEC network does. They don't have access to that, but... I mean, they've been in existence longer. They have the resources. I don't understand how every program on that show is just almost god awful. So, you know, it just it, if you literally, I mean, we know how TV works. If you literally have to mirror and steal the same format of another show from ESPN, just do it. I mean, my goodness, just do it. Just put out a better product. So, but whatever you do, Big Ten, don't try to replicate Paul By- uh, Paul Feinbaum with Dan Dockage because that won't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't. I, I can't even pull that together. So it is a new urban era. We we think the Urban Meyer legacy, I mean, we're talking multiple championship, damn near dynasty here at the Ohio State University. The future is definitely bright. We will be covering it. I mean, and, you know, one of the most competitive college contests next year, this goes out to our buddy Jason Lawhead, who we had our holiday gift of comedy with. If you haven't heard that podcast, definitely listen to it and get his new CD, You Never Heard of Me, uh, at jasonlawhead.com. But his statement was the most competitive college football game next year will be the Ohio State spring game, considering all three quarterbacks are coming back and whatnot. Uh, quick conversation, Jake. Your thoughts on the 
conversation that's being had by many whether or not Cardell Jones should go pro. That's a tough one. Um, objectively, I, I, here's the deal with him. He's got the size and the arm strength and everything physically that NFL teams are looking for. Um, he's made a huge light-year jumps in maturity and uh, his work ethic and all those things that uh, Urban had told you about about Cardale. Um, with the situation here the way it is, he only has a couple days to make this decision. Um, his stock may never be higher, and he's the type of guy that I think once you get into the combines and all the other stuff and they start evaluating him on his physical attributes, he's going to skyrocket up the draft boards. So it might make sense for him to do it now. Uh, unfortunately, I hate saying that. but. Uh, you know, there's also the flip side of that coin of uh, being a college kid and the college experience and never going to be able to go back to doing that. And so, I mean, it, it, it's really such a personal decision. Uh, I'm not going to get into saying he should go or not go, but I think that he has – it would be the right timing for him and he has the skill sets uh, that would make him – very attractive to NFL teams. Would you want him on the Cleveland Browns? Would you draft him yeah. for the Cleveland Browns? I, 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 honestly, I think he's, when it's all said and done, if he were to come out this year, he'd be a late first-round, second-round pick, early second-round pick, and I would not have a problem with the Cleveland Browns taking a pick on him. I think the guy got, I think it's a no-brainer to me. If you've got the opportunity to get paid to play football, you've got to take it and you've got to maximize that opportunity when it's given to you. Um, he has a young daughter. You know, I mean, he can set his family up. And he definitely, I think he will get drafted in the same spot, if not higher, than Geno Smith did. And I think he's got a better skill set. Um, you know, a lot has been made, whether he's a one-read quarterback and whatnot. What he is is a gamer. And the guy showed, he just showed that in a short amount of time, he can process a lot of information and actually facilitate a team to a, a victory. Now we know you don't get the pull, you don't get the package of Cardell Jones and Ezekiel Elliott when you draft him, but still you get Cardell Jones with a huge arm and huge capability. And uh, oh God, how could we ever forget? I got to put this in there right now. We can talk about this real quick. We talked about the huge fourth down, the f- huge fourth and goal stop by the Silver Bullets. Was there any other play that defined Ohio State season and the toughness of this Buckeye football team than Cardell Jones trucking 300 and plus pound nose tackle to get a first down of the Oregon Ducks? Was there any other play that defined this season and defined the moment better than that play? Now, that was up there is one of those wild moments that uh, you, you looked at, and uh, they always say the lower man wins. And uh, Cardell got a little lower and ran him right over. But uh, you don't expect to see a quarterback be able to do that to a nose tackle. And uh, you're right, it showed showed just the toughness. And, the, and it wasn't even just that once. You know, there were a couple plays where it, it just fighting for that extra yardage to get a first down was all the difference in the world. 
and uh, that that attitude and that want uh, was definitely evident throughout the season, and especially in the playoffs and the championship game. Yeah, you talk about it wasn't just that once the the dive over the player. I mean, you just saw full athleticism, you know, like on display with Cardell Jones, the dive the one time for the first down. Uh, the guy really was a gamer, and shout out to Cardell Jones. I, I don't think we've seen a performance like that in a long time at the biggest stage. We talk about whether or not Cardell Jones. I, I just, yeah, I, I, I'll just bring it back. I really think he does have to. He's got to strike while the iron's hot. What sucks is he doesn't even have a lot of time to evaluate the decision. The deadline is coming up on him real fast. He only had a couple of days after the national championship to decide. So we're really hoping that the man, the young man, makes the best decision for himself. Um, uh, if he comes back, it'll be great to have that competition. I embrace, and this is another conversation that we'll be having all the way up until the spring game. I embrace the competition and the problems that, you know, of JT Barrett, Braxton Miller, and Cardell Jones to see the competition of who will be the Ohio State's next starting quarterback for the 2015 season. Like my dad always says, it's a good problem to have. Final thoughts on the 2014 season as we wrap up this podcast, Jake. What are you What are you left with when you think about this Ohio State Buckeye team? Uh, I think the defining moment, and I think Urban Myers pointed to this too, was the Penn State game and and the fact that you know it wasn't a game that we should have struggled with. But anytime you're in conference on the road in a situation like that, a hundred thousand in white. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough atmosphere, and for them to be able to overcome not playing their best game, to overcome the injuries, uh, especially to JT Barrett and the effort that he put through uh, and put forth in the overtime, uh, really I think united this team uh, and created that brotherhood. And you know, I think we've we've spent so much time here in, over these last uh, few shows uh, talking about Cardell Jones. I also want to give a lot of credit to JT Barrett. We wouldn't be anywhere near where we are, I don't think, without his leadership and the ability to, for him to step in and, uh, and and take this offense in the direction that they that they did. Well, the moments that stick out to me is definitely the Penn State game. Um, the the Michigan State game sits out to me because they really came out, and that was the first time you see them put it all together and play as a team. Uh, and then there was no turnovers that game, uh, so it was it was just a full performance, and that's when I knew this team was something special. The bounce back of Jalen Marshall after the the fumble punt in the Minnesota game, and then the comeback against Indiana, and that 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 individual performance in that third quarter of three touchdowns in seven minutes, um, you know, you 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 saw just a special. You, and I talked about this before. You just saw the switches flipping for different guys in different games. Michael Bennett started asserting himself early on in the season. Uh, you know, it, it, Joey Bosa just incredible and sustaining, even though he started getting double teamed as the team started, you know, preparing for them. You saw this football team, and then you saw what Ezekiel Elliott did at the end of this run, as we documented with the, you know, over. 800-some yards of rushing and eight touchdowns in three games. And that speaks to the offensive line. And also, too, we saw – I'll tell you the biggest development and jump in the thing that also sticks out in my mind is play of the defense. 
in the last three games. To start with that, that performance in the Big Ten Championship to shut out a Heisman Trophy winner and you know, the point that they went up against all three Heisman hopefuls this year, the Ohio State Buckeyes did and beat them. You know, we say that they put the world the college football world on notice. I don't think ESPN and nobody can even put into perspective what, what the Ohio State did. It, it it's gonna really start to sink in as we start looking back. Um and I'm telling you right now, it's so I mean I really I can only use this word it's scary. Scary what Urban Meyer has built in a short amount of time. And we'll, 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 as we see these seeds continue to grow and cultivate these players and the talent that is at Ohio State and the talent that's coming in, the Ohio talent. I mean, you talk, you think about, you know, the the young kid from Athens, Ohio, Jim Burroughs. We saw the performance he had in the state championship game. The talent that's coming in from around the country. Uh, we, you saw the recruits, you know, tweeting in and making their decisions after watching that national championship game. They wanted to come and play at Ohio State. I mean, you know that. It's just going to be about guys doing things the right way. Um, and one of the last statements I'll make, and it's one of the things that a lot of folks don't point to, a lot of folks pointed to the health concerns that was one of the reasons why Urban Meyer, you know, left Florida and definitely was one of the big concerns. But the other thing, you saw him talk about, and even the year he was away from football, one of the things that he had a disdain for, and I don't know what was going on in Florida, and I'm not going to begrudge a program or anything like that, but he talked about there was a lot of people around the program. One of the things he doesn't like about college football was you, you have a lot of uh, hangers-on and folks that you hadn't had as friends when you become successful. He talked about this with Cardell Jones, and they kind of he said they were laughing about it before the national championship that, you know, you didn't have too many uncles and things like that come out of the woodwork. And that's, that's the sports pedophilia that's out there, you know, folks that want to give the $100 handshakes and slide kids money and put them in positions, whether it's, just trading something as simple as a jersey for a tattoo. You know, they they put a, a, a student athlete in a position that might jeopardize their career as a collegiate athlete and have to make the, uh, they make one bad decision and then it, it stains the program, it stains the whole, you know, uh, university, and we saw that happen here. It was so good to see Jim Trussell on that field and, you know, this isn't our regular home. You didn't do anything on Jim Trestle, did you? No, I just, at the beginning when we were talking about it, just said, yeah, I'm going to use that. Yeah, yeah, I'm going yeah, to use that. I'm just saying. You know, we, we talk about the Ohio State University and how it's been passed down. It's a legacy here at Ohio State, at the Ohio State University. It, it, there's a legacy here at the Ohio State University from Woodrow Hayes to Earl Bruce. John Cooper, even though he couldn't win the big ones, he recruited well and, and brought NFL talent into the Ohio State University. The Ohio State University has been sending NFL talent. They have won eight national championships. I don't care who put their name on a trophy. When they were giving out championship trophies, the Ohio State was winning them, okay? To win the ever first college playoff football, to win the ever first college football playoff, and cement the Ohio State University and that piece of history just goes and keeps the strength of the program moving forward. Jim Trestle carried it for ten years, and you know it was it was almost a burden that ended in a bad way, but it all it all came full circle. Five year five national championships at Youngstown State, one national championship with the Ohio State University, a winning percentage unprecedented in college football. Um, you know. 
we thank Jim Trestle for what he did and putting this program in a position that it wasn't. It was a it was a transition, but it wasn't as hard as a transition as it could have been. Uh, you know, Braxton Miller was here. That was due to the recruiting of Jim Trestle. Cardell Jones was here. That was due to the recruiting of Jim Trestle. Countless players are here due to the recruiting of Jim Trestle. So it's a thing to see Urban Meyer mix the players that were here before and the homegrown talent of Ohio with talent from outside and guys that want to play football and embrace the scarlet and gray transition and become Ohio State football players. They're national champions of the world, and it means a lot to the state of Ohio. It means a lot to us as Buckeye fans, but it's going to be meaning more even in the future as we see this legacy cement itself in college football history. You have not seen the end. The Ohio State University is back, and it ain't going nowhere anytime soon. So I don't know if you want to add anything to that. I'm done. Yeah, I, I just you talk about the history and all that sort of stuff, and, and we've talked in uh, other shows about the the feeling of family and the roots of your past. What I thought was great, too, was seeing the legends and the, the – not even the legends, the, the, the players from years past and spanning all the coaches and all the decades from Archie Griffin to Orlando Pace to uh, Eddie George and, and all these guys that showed up and Malcolm Jenkins and just how much Ohio State means to all these players and all these uh, uh, coaches going back. It, it just it, it gives you a warm feeling and, and it gives you that sense of you're part of the family. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Not much more that we can say. We will have more for you on the next With an Ohio Bias podcast, but it's truly a feeling of satisfaction. And we're so happy for the families, the students, the bandwagon fans, the state of Ohio, Urban Meyer, his family, all the Ohio State Buckeye football team, all the Ohio State Buckeye alumni, all the former players, We are truly, truly happy to say that the 2014 national champions are the Ohio State Buckeyes and the first ever of the college football playoff final. Have a Dr. Pepper. Enjoy some chocolate and peanut butter. As always, go Bucks, Buckeye Nation. Buckeyes follow Buckeyes. Enjoy your Ohio State offseason, and we will see you for the Ohio State spring game. As always, go Bucks. OH. Ohio. We got more Twitter love for you. We're bringing it through the whole show. We got at Claire Crawford, at Cody and Stace, at SNoodle73, at Buckeye underscore Mommy, at Papachango1, at Nova411Jim. At Tyler Mate, Colorado, Colorado Buckeye out there. At Ohio Sports Nation. At Debbie Cat Four. At Sloopy Deb. This is with an Ohio bias, a podcast for real fans. With D and Jake, the Twitter love continues rolling. At Braxton Buckeye. At number one. At num one Buckeye. At num one Buck Girl. 
at Kirk2013, Kirk, at underscore Ohio State underscore, at the underscore TK Clutch 21, enjoy that, J. Cole, at Nova OSU, at Sir Coach White, at B. Ill Dub, at JT Cole Riser, at R. Ward 2109, Roger. At Plant Percy, at Buckeye, what that is, at Buckeye, at Buckeye Girl one three three one, at I Digress one two three, at Lady Scarlet Gray, at Bucking Punisher, at Laura Laser, at T Seven Barrett, at J Tiles, at Flag Coach B. Shout out to nine five five the game. Uh, we know that they're the go to spot for Buckeye football. At Buckeye KLP, at Say at C Sajak, of course Roy Chatteroy, Buckeye Kids Books. This one makes a great. This national championship makes a great new story, Roy. So you got to get on that one. And we're so thankful to all the Buckeye fans out there. We know you're still celebrating and running around with your undisputed T-shirts on. There's definitely, definitely so much to celebrate and be proud of with this Ohio State Buckeyes team. The Twitter love continues rolling. At Alo Sin, at Corey T9783, at Rody1212, at Wolfman3671. At Cindy LC, at Poker underscore Squirrel, at Drew Anton Rose, the Ohio Hydra, man. We know you're celebrating in the comic book shop and rocking that Buckeye gear. At VM Bond 004. And shout out to all our friends and family that made the trips down to Dallas. Uh, we know you had a great time down there. Shout out to the guy with the greatest sign <laughs> uh, saying that it was priceless that the SEC didn't make the first national championship football playoff. Uh, just definitely really enjoyed this. And we got more coming for you. We're breaking this game down. You can hear the excitement in our voices. We are very, very, very Happy to congratulate the national championship, Ohio State Buckeyes. We will see you on the other side. At Jeremy and Akron, at Go Bucks, at Buckeye Scarlet, at Ian, at Bucket, at Bucks Bats and Beer, at the Chase for Eight. That chase has continued, my friend. The chase for nine now begins at Let's Go Buckeyes, at Scarlet O'Fan, at Jane Nye Day, at Monday 40, at Buckeye Guy underscore seven, at Rev Josh Brenzo down in Waco, man, we see you at Baylor, at Jay Witt 34, at Cleveland Sports Guy, at Rackham Willie 513, At Daniel Haler, 50. At Yahoo Shanna. 
At Joanne Flange too. We're getting down to the good ones now. Uh, of course, out to former Buckeye lineman at Kirk underscore Barton. Oh, no, that's pretty good. I'll make it work. All right, man. All right. So Anything else you want to get run. in there? Any? Any lasting thoughts or good? No, I think we nailed them. All right. Yeah, we'll good make job, it sound man. good. If so. I know you will. All right, man. Later. All right, later. At Tiff Blue to you. Our guy, Papa, at NNR on DSN. At CLE Town underscore fan. At T. Adelsberg. At Buckeye LBT eighty six at Fritz Me Again at TC seventy five at Shot Time Buckeye five. At Mr. Underscore Ohio, Zane, we see you, buddy. Go Bucks. At Scarberry John. At Sam Mad 27. At Cadillac Cannon. At Buckeye Lens 27. That's our Twitter love. We If we miss you, we know you all. We always got... Sorry if we missed you on the Twitter, love. We will catch you again. We're just trying to shout as many people as we can. We love the Buckeyes. We love all the Buckeye followers, Buckeye Nation, Buckeyes follow Buckeyes. This episode is made possible by PwC. 
A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.